who. No foolish heroics, if you please. Is. Dark Man. They destroyed everything he had. All that he loved. Everything that he was. Now, crime has a new enemy, and justice has a brand new face. I was afraid that you wouldn't want me anymore. Of course I still want you. The good news is that I know who's behind our little troubles of late. Finish it. He has the power to look like any man. There's two opposed sons of witches! But he is unlike any man. I gotta tell you something about me. He's a cockroach. You think you're killing him? And he pops up someplace else. In the darkest hour. Julie, who's the real monster here? There's a light that shines on every human being. But one. From director Sam Raimi. Dark Man. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rolled Spine Podcast. I'm a legal machine. With me is... Mr. Fix-It. And... Diablo Frank. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the movie 1990's Dark Man. So Dick Tracy must have come out that same year then. Because I remember well, Batman came out in 89, and everybody had superhero comic book movie fever. And so Disney tried to, to make it happen again with D- Dick Tracy. Without the nose. It did okay. It, it didn't do terrible or anything. But they weren't in any kind of rush to do a sequel either. These are the top ten highest grossing films in 1990. Number one, Ghost. Number two, Home Alone. Number three, Pretty Woman. Number four, Dances with Wolves. Number five, Total Recall. Number six, Back to the Future Part 3. Number seven, Die Hard 2. Number eight, Presumed Innocent. Number nine, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And number ten, Kindergarten Cop. Oh, well. Quite the slew of films there in the top ten. Some stinkers. Some stinkers. I don't know if there's... Well, which one is the stinker? Pretty solid, huh? Uh, Back to the Future 3 was pretty It it was a good way to end the trilogy. Yeah, it wasn't a good way to end the trilogy, but it it was underwhelming, but it wasn't bad. bad. Uh, Die Hard 2 has always been sort of been like the oh yeah that movie exists but ain't that the one with the military soldiers at the end where they turn out that it was all fake it's one without Samuel Jackson and not the first one so that's the one yeah. it happens in an airport I think it's yeah airport. it's okay not great um, the rest uh, what was presumed innocent that was Harrison Ford okay Harrison Frank Ford. would know that so we got we got two uh, two Schwarzenegger movies Total it's Recall it's not a Puma Total Recall and Kindergarten Cop Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles huge right Ghost Home Alone Pretty Woman Dance with Wolves These, pretty, those pretty. are all considered I, classics the, the, yeah. the first three I don't know about Dance with Wolves I don't think that one's held up that great over the years uh, Probably not. No, no, not at Costner, so probably not. At the time, it was a big deal. That's when he was on a roll. Total Recall. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's. A, didn't we just talk about to, to, Total Recall today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's weird. <laughs> that's so fucking weird. We, we had how often weird does Total Recall randomly come up in two different conversations? Yeah, dude, that was that's really fucking well, weird. Well, maybe because you saw a Predator. No, 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 it was completely it something else. Hey, look, it it so anyway, another film, 1990, fucking Dark Man. Yeah, well, I think Sam Ra- a, Sam Raimi's Dark Man. Yeah, I think that'd be a fair fit for a bit further down the list. Yeah, yeah, I was. So shit, we didn't even get to Gremlins. Her Gremlins did okay. Hey, well, Gremlins underperformed. We told you the rules. You can't get them wet. Don't let them uh, eat after midnight. It's always midnight somewhere. <laughs> we didn't listen. 
Gremlins 2, the new batch, rated PG-13. Start Friday, June 15th at a theater near you. How were you introduced to Darkman? So, in 88, Superman kills the comic book movie because nobody in Hollywood really wanted anything to do with comic book movies for a few years before that. I think Superman 3 actually probably killed the comic book movie. If not that, then Supergirl probably contributed mildly to that. There had just been this string of flops after the major success of the first two Superman movies, in part because it kept going cheap on the damn things and making really bad choices like, hey, let's make Richard Pryor the co-star one of these things. That's yeah. a good idea. When the Batman movie came out in 89, nobody thought that thing was going to fly. Everybody's criticizing Michael Keaton's casting choice in particular. Tim Burton was still just the guy who did Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Nobody had any faith in him at that time. And then, of course, Batmania happened. Think about this. In pop culture, in the, in the great, one of the reasons why Batman is so important to popular culture is that think of a time when something was as enormous as the 66 period Batmania and then you managed to revisit that and have as big of a sensation decades later with the same property as you did the first time. That's amazing. Batman 66 and then Batman Mania in 89. People were carving the bat symbol into their fucking heads and shit. I did it in my yard. You can argue argue it happened again with Dark Knight Returns or with Dark Knight. No. With all the Jokers. Are you kidding me, dude? We got Steampunk Joker, dude. I get that. Steampunk Joker. But there was not a single individual in the Western world that did not have some piece of Batman in 1989. However big Dark Knight might have been, the Joker stuff. And I know it's had longevity, too. There's still this whole cult yeah, of you're Joker. Talking, you're talking yourself into my side, okay? Right. No, but well, yeah, everybody... Yeah, okay, just to give you an example, my stepfather was working security. He decided to paint our 69 Chevy black with a fucking paintbrush because he was mental. And then he put bat symbols on that truck. That's how fucking crazy Batmania was. I remember going to Mervyn's and Batman had an entire section to himself. From underwear to t-shirts to handkerchiefs to belts, everything. Like, that was the boy section and they literally cut it in half just to give it to Batman. And it got bigger as the movie was out longer. Like, I remember they'd have, you know, a couple of shelves. I remember going one time and it was a whole section. All Batman. Because we bought everything Batman. Dude, I had all kinds of Batman you shit. You couldn't go to a fucking convenience store without finding Batman sections. Yeah, that's it was true. insane. And everybody was collecting everything Batman. Cups, mm-hmm. posters. I remember that was a big deal. The posters, the, the standing poster, yeah. yeah. So Batman was so enormous while also being something of a sleeper because while they hoped that it would be a huge hit at Warner Brothers, there was a real good chance this thing was going to be an enormous stinker and not do anything because there had not been, aside from the Superman movies, there had not been a strong comic book movie like that. And then Batman happens and everybody wants that, but you've got like six months production time. So they're looking to see anything that they've got in the pipeline that they could get out in 1990 to capitalize on that popularity. One of those things was Dick Tracy because that had already been in the works. But Dick Tracy, if you look at his DNA, that's far more like Popeye. Yeah. That's far more, this is a comic strip that's had a very comic strip mentality. It was not about superheroes. Very cartoony. Yeah, it was a whole, it was a musical. Yeah. So it was just a whole other thing that they tried to fit into the Batman mold, but it just did not take. The only movie that I think was even remotely a comic book movie to come out that following year was Darkman. And I saw this movie in Pasadena with my bro- half-brother. Well, I, I should, let's not gloss over Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but okay, go ahead. Was that 92? Yeah. No, I mean, it, literally, was it, that It was one of the highest grossing films on the list. I, just I, 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 it was, I think it was nine on the list. Okay, so I, I, yeah. I stand corrected. I stand R- right corrected. above Kindergarten Cop. I stand corrected. So, and was Dick Tracy on that list or no? No. No. Okay. Yeah, I remember it oh, it did horrible. No, so it didn't do horrible. It did like 100 Well, it didn't even million. make the top 10, so I mean, it, it, got, it got doubled up by Kindergarten Cop, so let's chill out. 
Yeah. But Kindergarten Cop was a big thing at its time. But uh, Dick Tracy still did $150 million, so it didn't do too bad for $1990. This movie did not do that. I think it made somewhere in the realm of $60 million, somewhere in that realm. With a so, budget of? Like $30 million. Okay. Yeah. So it more than doubled its money. It did, and it did extremely well on VHS. But me and my half-brother saw it in the theater. We both fucking loved it. I, I, I think he had some interest in it, but I was the one who was gung-ho about seeing this flick. I don't know if I'd seen Evil Dead 2 by this point. I know that I was going to Grumpy's, and I know that's where I rented Evil Dead from, but I'm not sure if I knew Sam Raimi. I know that I had seen Crime Wave, though, which was a very little scene, gonzo, dark comedy thing that he had done after the first Evil Dead that flopped in a huge way. But all these flops had this long life on cable, and so in the early days of cable, that was one of those movies that played a lot because it was cheap. And so I saw that. It was a weird fucking movie. I thought it was okay. It didn't, like, leave a major impression on me as a kid, but at least I had been exposed to that very gonzo, very distinctive Sam Raimi style, even before Evil Dead movie. But I don't think I saw Dark Man based on that. I think I just saw it based on the trailers, which I thought were fucking awesome. And the movie poster. I fucking loved that movie poster. You know the one, right? Wasn't it in the back of comic books, too? Yes. yes. I, I think that's why we saw They were very smart it. to help uh, uh, publicize the movie. But it was also, I have an issue of uh, Premiere Magazine from that time period, and it's on the back cover of that. In fact, I kept it. I cut the back cover off just to keep that movie poster representation. Because I remember, I, the only reason I saw it was because it was on the back of a, of a comic book. There was, there was like a whole month's worth of comic books from I think both DC and Marvel. Yeah. That, where it was the back cover. And I remember that was a friend of mine at the time was like, hey, let's go see this, let's go see this. I wasn't like, oh yeah. I was like, okay, we'll go check it out at Were the you local. Were comic books by that point? Yeah, I was reading comics. At, well, I, dude, I've been reading comics forever, but right. I never really, like the advertising, I never particularly followed the advertising. I was just the comics. But and you I just, had seen that image on the Yeah, comics. on the back. Okay. Yeah, and I remember my friend was just like, let's go see it, let's go see it. Basically skipped school one day, mid halfway through the day, decided to go to a local cinema, went there, watched it. I was just like, wow, what the fuck did we just watch? That was really weird. So I remember that. It was pretty cool. And you, Mac. I don't know. I just remember this shit playing on TV occasionally. Uh, so you saw it on TV. Or, or what did I say you call bits of it? Saw it is probably a strong word. I, I think I remember the, the video game more than I remember anything. Really? Yeah, I forgot about the video game. That, that yeah. did exist. How was that? I don't know. I just you never played it? it. I probably just passed it over in the rental aisle at Blockbuster. Okay. Ah, Blockbuster. Good times. There's still one left. Nah. In the Dakotas. Well, there'll always be one in my heart. So I'll get that never, checked out. You've never actually seen this movie all the way through then? <laughs> no, 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 no. No way. We should probably give a light synopsis. I think most anybody who's going to listen to a Dark Man episode of a podcast has probably already seen this movie. We can go a little light on it. You've been wanting to get this podcast done for a long time. Okay. So maybe. I'll do it. Maybe okay. you should do it and just so, take care of it. Short version is the movie starts off with a meeting in a dockyard between two criminals, Mr. Black and Durant. I got three things to say to you, Durant. One, I ain't selling my property. Two, nobody muscles Eddie Black, especially a bunch of dinks. And three, if y'all don't like that, which I can already see you don't, we can cut your balls off. Maybe that'd be more satisfactory to you. Durant's played by Larry Drake, who is best known for L.A. Law. He played a special needs person who worked in the offices, and he was just like this really gentle soul, this very kind of stereotypical, benighted, afflicted individual, or, or differently abled individual. He was also Dr. Giggles. That was, no, this was before Dr. Giggles. I know. Yeah. So That's where I know him yeah. from. He's fucking Dr. Giggles. He's Dr. Giggles. Holy shit, we're dating the shit out of ourselves <laughs> in this one, man. But he got Dr. Giggles on the strength of this movie. When he was cast in this movie, he was the guy from L.A. Law. Oh, Nobody wanted to hire him. How many Dr. Giggles did they make? Yeah, fuck this. You know what? Let's watch Dr. Giggles instead. <laughs> I'm all lathered up to watch me some Dr. Giggles now. Universal Pictures presents 
Dr. Giggles, a twisted tale of medical mayhem. He's a psychiatric patient who escapes from a mental institution and goes back to his hometown to continue his father's work. His father's work happened to be killing people and cutting out their hearts. If you think that's bad, when you get my bill? <laughs> I hope you have protection. I've never seen Dr. Giggles. You know, oh, Giggles. dude, it's fantastic. Oh, fuck, didn't they make like three of them? I think so. Oh, shit. I just remember the first one distinctively, but it's, go ahead. I'm sorry, Dr. Frank. Giggles. I mean, Dr. Giggles. I forgot about Dr. Giggles until you just mentioned it. Holy yeah. shit. He wasn't getting those kind of roles. Apparently, he played like a lot of truckers and stuff. He was playing either rednecks. So nobody saw him as being a villain, especially a lead villain in the movie. But he walks into the audition. Sam Raimi isn't a TV guy. Didn't know him for anything before. He thought that he had an Edward G. Robinson quality to him. Distinctiveness. Thuggish presence yeah. yeah and cast him against you know everybody's expectations and of course he absolutely relished this opportunity because he never got to play sophisticated crime boss and everything and he just took to it like a fish to water so in the sequence they're meeting in a dockyard there's a conflict between these two parties the villains that are working with Durant are cartoonish in particular there's one guy who has a wooden leg that has a machine gun built into it so when things go south they rip it off of him and start gunning down the opposing gang finally we approach Mr. Black who is of course an African-American gentleman because this movie has a lot of touchy racial stuff going on in it. And Durant proceeds to remove all of his fingers with a cigarette lighter. It's well, no, his... he removes the first three because he's making three no, points. No, it's not a cigarette lighter. It's the fucking... Uh... No, it's the cigar, cigar cutter. cutter. Cigar, cigar cutter. cutter. Yeah, sorry. He's got, he got three points he wants to make and the first point is he has anger he issues. He has anger issues. The second point is he has trouble controlling so, so, it. The third the, point is he, he has, has seven, seven more points, points to make. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, th- and there was only one Dr. Gulls, by the way. I was I thought there was more than that. Oh. Anyway, sorry. I had to, I had no, to fact check my Dr. Gulls. Nobody... Hey, Dr. Giggles fans, don't call me out. I corrected my mistake. <laughs> so this is hey, fun. listen to the Giggles cast. I'm Legal Machine. With me is... So this is followed up by introducing our lead characters. You've got Liam Neeson playing... Darkman. He's not Darkman yet. He's playing Eric Bana from The Incredible Hulk, from the Hulk movie. <laughs> Did they say call his name out? Dr. Peyton Wesley. Okay. And he's a good-natured scientist who's trying to develop an artificial skin for people who've had... Burn victims. Burn victims, yeah. He works with an Asian-American lab assistant, Nakatito or something like that, some ridiculous name that doesn't even sound like it's an actual Japanese name. It sounds like somebody made it up. Not unlike Mr. Black, the African-American mobster. And thankfully, in the movie, besides being Yakitido, he's not too bad, although at one point Durant does refer to him as a houseboy. I read the comic adaptation of this where he's full-on Asian minstrel. Oh, Not good shit. Like, I was afraid when we were watching this movie they were going to go there with it. And it's not a great representation, but it's not as horrifying as the comic book adaptation was. Wow. Awesome! Man, that, that that's the uh, I haven't seen it. I'm, I'm not gonna do that. You know, I'm not gonna do it. Yeah, I'm not gonna do it. Do we remember? You saw the line. I want to keep sand. Giggles cla- cast clean, so we're not gonna do it. I need the names of these characters. I, I thought you knew all the names, man. I was so fucking by heart. You're such a huge fan of this movie. I thought you'd be like franking the shit out of us all the time. Well, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble being distracted by one fucking tangent after another. So I was like, all right. I'm you're sure you're on. fucking turned on about Giggles cast. You know what? Fuck you. We're staying here till four o'clock in the morning. After this, we're making you sit through Doctor Giggles. No, mm-hmm. that's my name. Okay, so Francis Dor- McDormand plays. Julie Hastings. That's the love interest. Oh, they do a really nice job of... She's a lawyer, and she is actually, to a large degree, driving the story. Herb. Hi, it's Julie Hastings. Listen, I found some memos when I was researching the Von Hoffenstein deal that I don't think I was supposed to find. They're from Strack to a guy named Claude Belisarius, and they're records of payments to various people on the Zoning Commission. Well, I think they're payoffs. 
Yeah, well, what I want to do is talk to Strap first, give him the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. All right, I'll talk to you later, Herb. Bye. In her law practice, she's found a memorandum that indicates payoffs involving Durant. She confronts this person that she's working with, this mogul who's trying to build up this real estate project and stuff. And he basically cops to being dirty, but he just wants her to kind of forget it for the greater good. She's like, well, I'm not sure that I could do that. Not only would it be unethical, but I don't even have the memorandum with me. And so Peyton West likes working with his assistant. They finally figured out that the artificial skin that they were creating that could not last beyond 99 minutes before it fell apart is photosensitive. It'll fall apart. It, it, as long as it's in the dark, it'll be fine. But it's 99 minutes in the dark light and it falls apart. Just to make that realization, Durant and his boys show up, murder Nakatito, and absolutely torture Liam Neeson's character. Yeah, that was kind of a hate torture. That wasn't like... Well, because they found the memorandum before they'd done all the grievous bodily harm to him, and they were just like too into it. They couldn't stop. They couldn't yeah. pull out. Still weak compared to RoboCop, but... In terms of the brutality? Yeah. I would think clearly influenced by RoboCop, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the dudes all laughing and having a great time while they're just absolutely mangling this dude beating yeah. him up burning his hands off yeah, yeah. you saw the claymation burning yeah. the hands too yeah, that yeah, was yeah. I like that it's obviously not to modern standards but no, that's, it's makes, this makes it great though yeah I would absolutely think that Paul Verhoeven had a huge influence on Darkman there's a lot of Robocop in the DNA of this movie but yeah they inflict all this grievous bodily harm on him and then of course there's the key moment where they start up some gas and they get one of those drinky crows is that what you call them I drinking mean, bird I don't yeah know. it's a little bird where it's got mercury or some other liquid in it and it causes it to sway back and forth and then they set a particularly sensitive lighter because I know that the tap of this plastic bird should not have activated this lighter but maybe they had a specially rigged one and so the, they leave him be that he's crawling his hands are blackened you can see bones sticking out his face is all fucked up and he's just about to make it to the lighter when the bird activates it ex- detonating the gas it just so happens that the uh, wannabe fiance he, they made a point of having him propose to her earlier in the, in the sequence she just had, to really she had drive to think home. about it yeah he had to think about it Julie, Julie, wait. Um, I've been thinking. Mm-hmm. We should get married. Marriage. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I just started getting things going at the firm, and I really like having my own place. But we're practically living together now. Oh. Well, marriage means as you answer the phone in the morning, and if it's my grandmother, you don't have to pretend it's the wrong number. <laughs> Poor woman's beginning to think she has Alzheimer's. I can't talk about it now. Come here. Jules, I'm asking you to marry me. Hey, I love you. I mean, I realized. But I gotta think it over, okay? And she's showing up and she makes it pretty clear that she's going to, you know, go ahead and say yes. But then he gets blowed the fuck up. And they have that cool transition where she goes from standing in front of... Well, the- no, no, no. You're talking about he gets blown out the roof of the building and goes past the camera because it's an aerial shot of the roof of the building. And he's on fire, And too. when it explodes, his his flaming semi-corpse is ejected out of the building past the camera and into the nearby harbor. Which, which is a great scene. Awesome. Yeah, it, was, it looked really good. Well, yeah. then you know they literally set somebody on fire and had them jump, you know, into the water. There's no CGI. Oh, yeah. There's they no definitely dummies. dropped oh, That was all practical. Yeah, it was all practical. When was the last time you saw somebody get set on fire in one of these movies? It used when, to be yeah, like a, they don't do that anymore. Yeah, it used to be a big thing and I guess, well, people did die from that shit so that's probably one of the reasons why you don't want to do that anymore. I'm sure insurance doesn't want to cover it anymore but back in the 70s and 80s they were always setting people on fire. Hence the fall man. The fall guy. My bad. Dropped it. My bad. Damn it, dude. <laughs> 
totally dropped it. Well, now I'm just I'm the play theme song is playing in my head, so I'm completely <laughs> great right theme right song. Great theme song, Fall Guy. Don't remember that one. Play the movie. I'm the unknown stunt man. The main Eastwood such a star. I never really watched that show. Really? Never uh, watched I like Fall Guy. Fall Guy was awesome. Was, was it, it a block? With, it was was it in a block with Dukes of Hazard or was it a? No, that was a different network. Fall Guy was ABC. Dukes of Hazard was CBS. I could have sworn. But what, was he? Made made it, wait, wait, I got one question. Magnum? I've never. Magnum was CBS. Yeah, too. CBS. I've never watched an episode of Fall Guy. Was he a detective or what was he? No, stunt he was a stuntman who ended up. I think he did like he helped out with investigations with a lawyer. Marky Post played a lawyer on the show, okay. and I think that he like as a side deal would like do investigations for her. But he technically was a professional stuntman. Okay, man. I was. I've never seen the show, and I just like it made no sense to me. I had. No I think sense. Heather Thomas was in that one. I think you'd remember the show pretty well if you'd seen yeah, Heather yeah, Thomas. Yeah, you know, yeah, Like every episode opened with her in a bikini in the yeah. during the credit sequence. In the credit sequence. Yeah, and you're like, whoa. Hey, yeah. everybody, welcome to Stunt Cast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you literally was talking about wanting to do a Fall Guy. Which one of you you were right? No, well, I was. I actually okay. know the name of the show. Yeah, yeah he's seen no, the show. Yeah, probably, yeah. He was okay. trying to call back to my joke off air yeah. and just Fuck fucking <laughs> fucked up. Shit I bed. mean, just shit the bed, dude. It's Fall Guy. It's two words, and you what'd you call? It? Oh, make a Fall Man podcast. Oh, fuck, <laughs> fuck you. Anyway, continue. He was the only one falling in that conversation. Anyway, so there was a great transition where she's standing in front of the building, the the burning building, and then it fades. She's standing in front of the, I guess the taxi just driven off or whatever. So she's mm-hmm. standing there like, oh my god, this building just blew up. And then it is nice how the taxi drives off after the explosion. Yeah. Oh wait, no, she's standing there. The taxi drove off before the explosion. I think right? it drove off before. Okay. Um, and then as, as it fades away from her, er, the background fades into a cemetery where she's at his funeral. Yeah, she also has the enshrouded by yeah, yeah, yeah. morning. Yeah, and then, and then, so then they're talking to the the grave digger, and he was just like, like, man, you sure do that one quick. He was like, but not hard. All they found was an ear. Yeah. Not much there. So that's where we're at. So how how are we liking the opening so far? Especially you, uh, uh, Max, who have not seen. This I like thing. it so far. I thought, I thought the opening with the, the two gangs that was a lot of fun. Very dynamic. Yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun. He mean, took the dude's wooden leg. Come on, do the joke. Do the joke. He goes, bum leg, no leg. I dated a girl one time with no with a wooden leg. What happened? I had to break it off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you got to give this movie credit. Most comic movies, they're doing the origin. It's so slow. You're losing like the first hour to fucking origin and talking head shit. This movie it starts out with this big action sequence. You got like 10, 15 minutes of setup, and then Dark Man has been blown up. You yeah. know, you're already you're already on your way. We're already halfway through the origin, and it's 12 minutes and 43 seconds, and the inciting incident has already occurred. That's fucking phenomenal for a comic book movie, especially one from 1990. Yeah, I know it was great. I mean, they they got right to it, especially when I saw them sitting there in the uh, the fucking laboratory. I'm like, oh, I was I was having Hulk flashback. Or, I was having the, Universal or, Hulk yeah. flashback. Lady lawyers talking to the client. You're like, oh shit, yeah, we're gonna have oh. an hour of this. Nope. So Peyton Westlake turns up at a city hospital. He's presumed to be a homeless person. Maybe there was a period of time there where they were actually setting homeless people in fire, on fire in New York. So you might have thought he was one of those fellows. He's unidentifiable because of the extreme circumstances of his attack. He can't speak for himself. He, I believe he's in an induced coma besides. And they decide, well, the best thing we can do for this guy because of how bad a shape he's in is to experiment on. And so you have a doctor, this British lady, played by Ginny Aguder, who is probably best known for being on Logan's Run and American Werewolf in London. She also has a tied to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You're fucking me. You know this stuff? You know it? Yeah, Never mind. Wow. But the main thing is she actually ties into the Marvel Cinematic Universe because so? she is in The Winter Soldier. She is the member of the council that Black Widow impersonates. Oh, okay. Yeah, same actress. Next, we have a 30, 35-year-old male, no ID, no medical history. He was found on the riverbank just south of the city. There's a sizable population of homeless and indigents there. We get at least three no-names like him every week. Nobody does anything about the homeless until they become train wrecks like Mr. John Doe here. 
He's got burns covering over 40% of his body. The hands and face are the most severe. Ten years ago, pain from the burns would have been intolerable. This man would have spent the rest of his life screaming. Now, we use the Rankoveritz technique. Quite simply, we sever the nerves within the spinothalamic tract, there, which, as you know, transmits neural impulses of pain and vibratory sense to the brain. No longer receiving impulses of pain, you stick him with a pin, and he can't even feel it. As in many radical procedures, there are serious side effects to this operation. When the body ceases to feel, when so much sensory input is lost, the mind grows hungry. Starved of its uh, regular diet of input, it takes the only remaining stimulation it has, the emotions, and amplifies them, giving rise to alienation, loneliness. Uncontrolled rage is not uncommon. Now surges of adrenaline flow unchecked through the body and brain, giving him augmented strength, hence the restraints. Naturally, we give them every chance of recovery, remain optimistic, inspire confidence, talk to him about rehabilitation potential. Personally, I give him a nine on the buzzard scale. <laughs> He's extremely angry. He's extremely depressed. Everything is like off the scale with him. So he goes from being this very mild-mannered scientist in his previous life to being just kind of a raving lunatic. And of course, he can't feel anything, so you can't hurt him. You can't prevent him from doing something through pain, only restraint. And as he proves very quickly, restraint is an issue for him. He rips himself out of his strength and escapes from the hospital. He goes back to his old lab. He manages to scavenge what he can from there. He finds an abandoned textile warehouse, if I recall correctly, it's somewhere in L.A. It's, it was an actual warehouse. One of the great things about filming in practical locations, you can find this incredible ambiance. It's very gothic quality to it. Very industrial. Very 90s, very industrial. So it looks fantastic. You also can't film in a place like that anymore because it was so incredibly unsafe. Like, because the place was literally falling apart while they were filming in it. Horrifically hot. Just the worst environment to be trying to film in. But it looks great on film. And they didn't have to spend a ton of money on it. And so we have this whole montage of him trying to recreate his lab so they can come up with the fake skin to kind of save himself. As Mr. Fixit pointed out earlier, this movie basically predicted 3D printing. The process by which they create the artificial skin is remarkably similar to 3D printing. Including I, mean, I, th I, mean, I, well, I thought I said that. But, I mean, well, I thought I said that. I mean, we both said that. I, thought. I mean, I thought I said it and he was like, hey, you're right. Well, I mean, whatever. Okay. We also see a demonstration of what's happening in his mind when he's going to those extreme emotional places. There's this whole montage of flaming meteors and just violent science. And very psychedelic. Science stuff. Yeah, you too. also, when he's sciencing, you know, the shit out of his... You know, I guess, I guess it's supposed to be like, elect well, it was supposed to be like uh, neurons and uh, electrons. And yeah, all kinds of shit going yeah. on there. So my understanding is he'd actually done something hey. way crazier than that. Protons? He'd done something way crazier than that because uh, the movie was influenced in part by David Lynch's The Elephant Man. And there was some crazy imagery throughout David Lynch's movies, uh, I think borrowing someone from a race round too. And so apparently Remy had done this really bizarre, freaky sequence that was much longer. The studio hated it and it's never seen the light of day. Nobody knows whatever happened with all that stuff that was put together through chemical reaction, phot photography, claymation, just this whole oh, thing. Oh, okay, okay. And, and none of that, sh that stuff survived. You know, the, the studio didn't like it. It got cut and it vanished. You pointed out that there's a sequence where he's digging in a dumpster 
He finds some old theater costumes that have been tossed out. And that's where he gets his distinctive trench coat kind of yeah. thing that he wears. Apparently, that was a real thing too. Apparently, I think they were they found some old theater costumes and they were recycling them for this movie. But also, the sequence where that happens strongly resembles a scene from Kenneth Branagh's version of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Frankenstein yeah. which itself was trying to bite the popularity of Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. And one of the things that drove me nuts about the movie is it was so obvious that Coppola was trying to do his best to rip off Sam Raimi's stylistic flourishes. Mm-hmm. So it, you got this weird cycle of influence. Well, I just, it goes I just, back to a mo- the Dark Band, which probably did the worst financially of any of them, even though he was a modest success in the theater. Well, no, because I remember when I saw that scene, I watched the Mary Shady Frankenstein maybe two, three months ago. It okay. just happened to be on TV and I watched it. Not that great. Eh, it's, not, okay. it's okay. It's okay. I remember, okay. I remember it was a big disappointment. Well, was they, okay. they, people thought it was going to be Bram Stoker's Dracula, which while not, I mean, it was pretty pretty respectable business yeah. and, and they, a lot of the goth kids seem to really enjoy it. So. But it wasn't sorry, they're vampire. emos now. Yeah. Well, I don't know, I, you might have actually done more money than Interview with the Vampire, but I know it cost a lot more money too. But it didn't have Keanu. That was its falling, its failing. It didn't Interview with the Vampire didn't have it. Huh? Interview with the Vampire. No, I was talking about Brent, uh, the Frankenstein. Oh, that's Because I love wow. Brent Stroke. Yeah. I love and when had, Keanu comes had to bottom Carter, so you've definitely got the goth continuum. Yeah. You know, as a matter of fact, I think it was one of her first major U.S. roles. Like, it, it, actually, it might be the only non-Tim Burton role she ever did in her entire life. Oh, wow. No, she's worked for other people, but that's like Does the she only do any? Thing I, I'm just saying, she's probably got to run. Thoughts on the origin sequence we were watching? That was cool. Oh, it was cool. Again, uh, the other little montage when he was trying to put together the, the time, where they're trying to show the time. <laughs> Yeah, well, and he's going through all the his failed experiments trying to replicate the skin. There's like beakers, like clogs behind and, him. Yeah. And yeah, just really the imagery so far is really, really good in this movie. And see, what's cool about it too is it's not money, it's not CGI, it's not explosions. It's just let me do some kooky stuff with the camera and do some superimposition and give you something visually stimulating. Or it's 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 lighting, it's sets, it's just good filmmaking. But it's, this set doesn't cost money. It's all about technique. It's all about knowing what. You you can do at cinema. Raimi isn't really a horror guy. He's not even an action guy. He grew up as more of a comedy guy. He loves stuff like Three Stooges and Abbott and Costello. He borrows from those old movies, 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and updates it for modern times, and it's new all over again because it's been so long since a lot of those techniques have been used mm-hmm. in film. So all of a sudden, it's like, wow, that's so cutting edge. It's like, it's cheap, and I'm stealing from shit from 30, 40 years before the movie came out, you know? Yeah. It's just pure crap, and I think that's part of what's so great about the flick is even though there's a few moments here and there where you can see the budgetary Restraints. Oh, yeah, the CG in the rain with the window I opening. Know, I don't even think that was CG. I think that was oh, some sorry, that's weird blue, black, green screen. Yeah, or... green, yeah, not even green. This is blue screen. Oh, wait, green screen. Green screen. Because it became yeah. blue screen now. Oh, no, it's go. green screen now. It used it's green screen, screen now. So it used to be blue screen. So, yeah, oh. you're talking about some funky ass blue screen shit. But for the most part, it holds up surprisingly well for how yeah. old it is and how cheap it was. in the Dark Man game earlier. And one aspect of that game I do remember well is that you actually had to run around with a camera and take pictures of people. And you had to take a, a certain number of pictures of each of the guys you were going after in order to create the files needed to scan to create their faces to impersonate them. And it was such a weird thing. It's so particular to that game is you're not shooting at the guys. You're taking their pictures and, and they're going in and out of different rooms and stuff and you're trying to catch them so that you can get enough of the face to reconstruct them. So that also happens in this movie. It's taken from this flick. He's turned 
turning the gang against itself by impersonating them and setting them up in various ways. He also extorts information out of one of them by torturing them. He's managed to get his power of speech back, but he's obviously horrifically deformed. He can't go back to his lover because he tried before he could speak and just terrified her. He knows how he looks, and so he's trying to go back to her somewhat healed. But in the meantime, he's still targeting the gangs, and he's developing the science behind the artificial skin to where it's more realistic, more believable. He can pass under not-so-close inspection, but I assume with his lover, he's got to make sure that he's got it on point. I was just getting some flashbacks. When I was younger, in the early 90s, we actually managed to get a few VCRs, because for the longest time there, we didn't have any, in part because we were constantly pawning the things. But at some point in the early 90s, enough VCRs had been out there, and they'd moved on to better generation ones. We managed to get some old crummy ones. And so I actually could, like, tape from VHS to VHS, and so I tried to do some video editing. And one point in particular is I tried to do a music video for Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses, involving clips from various movies, one of which was the, the sequence where he's in the hospital from this flip. So I always get that flashback to that. One thing I do like is the movie slows down a bit after his accident because they really want to sell how fucked up he is, how it's messed him up mentally, messed up physically, how he cannot relate to the woman that he loves, how he can't function in society because he's so hard to look at. I mean, one part of his face is just ashen. It's still relatively intact, but it's so pale and has this sort of sickly listening to it where it looks like dead skin just sort of hanging off his face. And then the rest of him is ridiculously burnt. You can see this huge differentiation between where his intact skin is and where he's basically just raw muscle, just like meat. And then he essentially has no lips, but they cover him up with bandages. However, they always have them sort of loose so you can see little bits of him hanging off of there. And it does a great job of selling the horror of his circumstance. You understand why he can't just be like, yeah, sure, I got bitten by the spider. And then I, you know, found the guy that was responsible for Uncle Ben's death. And I just kind of went back to, you know, life as usual. It's like, no, he can't. He cannot function that way. He's just too fucked up mentally and physically to make that happen. And my understanding is that Raimi, going back before the Batman movie, had tried to get a Batman movie made. He'd also tried to do The Shadow. He had tried to do The Phantom. And the fact is, he was known for making non-rated, extremely gory horror movies like Evil Dead. And he could not get the financing. Nobody wanted to give him the rights either. So that's why Darkman came into existence. He basically couldn't get the rights to anybody else, so he just made up his own. With a heavy influence from the Universal Monsters, because while he wasn't necessarily a monster fan, he did like those concepts. Also, they tried to base it at least somewhat in real science. This is that you're pointing out that a lot of the tables you saw him in yeah, in the movie yeah. are in actual hospitals. One of Sam Raimi's brothers, Ted, is an actor who appears in a bunch of Sam Raimi stuff. Another one of his brothers is a doctor and actually gave them real science stuff to make the premise as realistic as possible within the confines of a spectacular, pulpish action movie. I do think, though, that with that much exposed non-skin, the meat, basically, you'd be dead from infections, especially under the living conditions he's under. But you give it a little bit of uh, license because it's supposed to be essentially a monster movie crossed with pulp vigilante type stuff. I think it's it works so much better to have the bandages kind of hanging off and giving you little glimpses of how horrifically mangled he is, as opposed to just showing us. You know what I mean? Like, especially because we know the effects weren't there. I don't, I don't know. The effects would never actually be there, right? The latex isn't bad because they, they do a lot of stuff with him yeah, making but- the artificial skin. Obviously, they did molds and so they just hang it off of stuff and it makes it look like really impressive and like, science! But you're right. When you're actually looking at it on somebody's face straight on, you end up with like a spawn thing going on where you after a while it just becomes rubber. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just think it works a lot better. Don't don't show us all. Like, you, you can piece it together what he looks like because the bandages will be hanging off in different ways. Yeah, it's ways. not like a shock when they finally show him full on straight face in the end, but they do it artfully and shot really, really well. This is an instance where the director makes it work so well with the lighting and everything else to where you're never 
never forced to look at it long enough and in bright enough lighting to where you can see any flaw in it. It looks like he's just fucked up. So, fix it. You wanted to talk about the music some. Very Beetlejuice-ish. Well, it's Dan, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman, yeah. Who also, of course, did Batman. Was that music in Batman? That those... Yeah. Those kind of haunting... I, I remember well, that I Batman 2, mm-hmm. The Return of Batman, or Batman Returns, I'm sorry. I remember that that distinctive um, Beetlejuice chorus sound. Danny Elfman has a, a wheelhouse, for yeah. certain, you know, from Simpsons to everything else. I, I, I was talking about how I feel like Beetlejuice's peak Elfman is like the most Elfman soundtrack, and most of the stuff he does sounds like some sort of variation on either his Batman themes or his Beetlejuice theme. Yeah. This one skews more Batman, but there's still a lot of Beetlejuice flourishes in there as well. Because he does that, la, 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 which I immediately think of Tim Burton. Yeah. Like, I associate that with Tim Burton, that type of music, because that's in his, you know, Edward Scissorhands and fucking his Charlie, Charlie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and every fucking movie he makes, it has that little... Well, it's pretty much in all yeah. of Tim Burton's music movies, so there, there's that... Recycled. ...association there. But what's funny is, obviously, Elfman was very well known for doing the Batman soundtrack which was a huge success just like everything else related to that movie and surely they knew what they were doing when they connected Elfman to Raimi the following year for yeah. Darkman but Raimi and Elfman had a decent run together as well with him scoring his movies uh, it came to a fine point with Spider-Man 3 because basically Raimi wanted the soundtrack from a Hellraiser movie and was giving Elfman cues from these movies and wanted him to essentially recreate them and Elfman just it completely turned him off and he was just wanted nothing to do with Raimi for a while there because of that. Just didn't want to speak with each other for a while. I think they re- I heard that they finally resolved that, but at the time Spider-Man 3 came out, they wanted nothing to do with each other. So that's a, definitely a contrast between the relationship with Elfman and Burton who, to my understanding, you know, they're constantly working together. So yeah. there's that strong association. Now, Mac, you were liking the, the music, although you thought it was a little oppressive as well. Yeah, I, I well, so whenever he's wearing someone's, whenever he creates the disguise, he's got is it 99 minutes, right? 99 minutes before the skin starts to dissolve and go shit. So whenever he's in the guise of one of these dudes he's constantly checking his stopwatch so there's this is he going to accomplish whatever little mission he's doing before the clock runs out so because of that they run this really dun 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 like intense music even though he's the guy's just like walking up a flight of stairs because he's slowly walking up the flight of stairs with other people but that's eating into the time and then he'll check the clock you'll see he's got five minutes left and it's dun 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 but it's really heavy music to have over just a group of dudes walking in a room like, like they're doing very mundane things maybe tone it down a little bit maybe tone because like it's like stressing me escalate out. a little bit god I want that music now when I'm at work so I can feel the day just moving along oh my god it would drive me insane well I like that he's got a stopwatch that ticks you know just to give it, it that little extra yeah. hitchcocky and like a visual it's definitely a visual or the, well, when every time he takes out the clock though like he stares at it because even I'm sitting out I won't lie the first time he looked at it I started counting the seconds in my hand and like see if I could keep oh, up with it this has such a great video game premise because you could you, you would build whole missions around can you accomplish this mission in this time frame it works for the movie's benefit because it helps to propel it even during what would otherwise be mundane scene well, I was just telling uh, Mac here that so there's a scene where they go to a fun house or a, a amusement park Carnival. Carnival. well I mean I think it's important to point out that while he's continuing his missions to turn the gang against each other kill members of the gang and steal all their money so they're not only cash trapped but also it helps to fund his research and his artificial skins he's also managed to finally recreate 
recreate his old face and reconnect with his would-be fiance. Yeah, but that scene was just phenomenal where they're in the amusement park. She wants to know the truth. He wants to tell her the truth. He keeps disappearing to do um, rehab. Rehab. Because he's, he's supposed to be in a hospital. And that's how he explains his absence, that he was in a coma, he came out of the coma. The doctors recommend that he not spend too much time away from the hospital. He has to do a bunch of therapy, but he won't go into detail and she is very suspicious of that. Oh, she's an attorney, man. Spend, she's an attorney. Yeah. Like, she's got to dig up the truth. Yeah. It's like, you, you know, you're all my life, you've been gone for months, you show up at my at your grave while I'm visiting you. And, and you appear to be just perfectly fine. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. So what? What's and so, you know, he's trying to explain it. All of a sudden, there's a freak show across the aisle from them where they are displaying this human who has these ailments to his body. Like, so he looks serpentine. Yeah, and so that starts to affect him and he's trying to tell her and then he decides, no, no, I'm going to win you a game. Let's play a game. Well, and also he turns it around to, did you see somebody while I was gone? And oh, yeah. Well, yes. He, he had been comforted by the guy who uh, and she thinks that's the whole. Developer. She thinks that's the whole reason why he keeps Freaking disappearing. Out. Yeah. Well, it's A and an explanation. Obviously, she knows there's more going on there because she, that does that's not enough to satisfy her. Well, that wasn't even the scene, man. The yeah. best scene is, so he throws the baseballs that you're supposed to knock over the milk bottles and win a prize. He does it. The guy tells him, nope, sorry, buddy, you weren't behind the line. He says, I was behind the line. He goes, no, you weren't. And then they do this amazing scene where he's losing his shit and the reality around him starts to crack red. Like his world is just falling apart and then everything speeds up. The music speeds up. The pacing of the carnival movement music. is paced. Everything's sped up to show you that his, I guess his heart rate is accelerating. He's about to hawk out mm-hmm. and the guy goes, the carny goes to uh, point his fingers in his chest to tell him to fuck off and he grabs his fingers and just fucking gnarly tears him up. Not even tears him off, just he bends him straight back, up. Like, it's like they basically took like an empty glove and he just bent the glove up like it's pretty horrendous. And the guy's like, ooh, and he's all like, Rawr, and his and the fiance's fiance screaming to him. It's, and so he goes, he ah! grabs the pink elephant and he goes, take the, take the pink yeah, elephant. Take- she goes, I don't want it. She goes, take the fucking elephant. And she takes it. She's screaming. He's screaming. All of a sudden his face starts to bubble. And I'm just like, oh, that was brilliant. That was fucking brilliant. Brought me back in. Yeah. He went, he went real crazy. And, and you know, they, they do a good job. There's a few things they would do a good job of. So before where he was like really like even keel ever since he comes back. And even though like, you know, he looks fine and they're out in public. You can tell the way he speaks. He's like a little more manic. Like you can tell his brain's not right. Like he's just like, ah, 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 ah. like when he and talks also, to her, he's like, ah, ah, and you're like, loaded. He has a hard time hiding the Irish lilt too. And he wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't doing a great American accent at the beginning, but now you can really hear the Irish coming through. Yeah. And what I like too is that, you know, whenever, obviously like when he's playing, whenever he quote unquote has a disguise on, it's just the actor that he's disguised as, right? It's like, it's not Liam Neeson in a fucking mask. But so what they do is though, is they like just cake some foundation on them. So their real skin looks just a little, little off, fake, yeah. right? And they do the same thing with Liam Neeson. It's Liam Neeson playing Liam Neeson, except he's got like when he was playing Dr. Giggles it looks like he's got foundation like on. so but they just have Dr. Giggles just kind of pull at his own cheek and that's supposed to be like oh it's the mask he's yeah. checking on he's the mask but it's just cheek. a guy pulling yeah. on his own skin and it's like fucking Dr. Giggles <laughs> and uh so then he's but here they, what they do is they he puts like some of the foundation on his lips so the lips aren't as red as they should be and that's it makes it looks like it's kind of a mask but yeah. it's not a mask like, mm-hmm. it's really effective the way they do it it's it's kind of cool it's those little stage, things he looks art, he know? looks slightly fake and that's yeah. what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to look almost real. So they just put like a little layer of, uh, of makeup on him. It's pretty interesting. Well, and the acting that goes in that too, because at one point Durant is faced with Durant. And well, so Dr. you've Giggles. got the actor playing his character and your actor playing Liam Neeson's character playing Durant. And it works because you can see the difference in the two performances. Even though it's the same guy and a, and a blue screen. I think when we watched the special features, he said that that was the scene that uh, San Raimi had him perform. Right. To he see if he could see pull it off. Yeah. two different characters. And, and he said he had so much 
fun doing it because he got to tone one up and tone one down. I remember that slightly. As you mentioned, during the carnival sequence, his face starts to bubble because he hung out too, with her too long. He goes back to his lair. She follows him. She sees his face melt, which is a great effect. Yeah. I love that. And it's practical. And she finally realizes what's happened and asks him, you know, why didn't you tell me the truth? I could have helped you. I can still help you. But he refuses to do so. Apparently, there was a lot of tension between Francis McDormand and Sam Raimi on this production. McDormand was already, I don't know if she was married to, I think she's married to Ethan Cohen, and the Cohen brothers were friends with Raimi. And so she was kind of part of his circle. So he's like, well, yeah, why, don't, why, why didn't Fran come and do this movie with me? And she does the movie, but she's a very strong person. And they're putting her in the damsel in distress role. At that point in her career, she was very much fighting against that. She did not want to just be another damsel in distress. Later on in her career, she's just like, I should have just shut up and done the role because this that's this type of movie. If I was doing this type of movie, I should have just gone with it. But I, I personally love it because while it is kind of fucked up that she's basically the cause for Peyton Westlake being, you know, brutalized the way that he was because it was her that was, was pushing this memorandum issue. It was her that, you know, it was all her bullshit that he ended up suffering for. But I actually think that just adds layers to the movie. It adds complexity. And because she's real, she, she's there, there's no, at no point where she's like, for starters, she's not sure she wants to marry the guy. When he comes back, she's a little freaked out by it. She confesses while they're talking, you know, if he'd been horribly disfigured, would she yeah. be able to accept that? I don't know. Yeah. And that's that's real. That's some real shit there. Um, and I think they do that. I think that those are two really key character points for her. And those are the two I've latched onto the most. The one that she was kind of wishy-washy about wanting to marry him to begin with. Because she wanted, she put her career first. She wasn't, yeah. after, he was the one. And then when he was like, that. well, what if I was all, you know, horribly disfigured? She's all like, I don't know about that. And yeah, it's like, like, whoa, dude. Yeah. But, but see, it's so great because so often women in these type of movies are all saintly or they're willing to look past these physical defects. And we don't ask guys to fucking do that shit. You would, you, there's all kinds of reasons why a guy will drop your ass in one of these fucking movies. So it's nice that, yeah, I mean, if you, if you had to look at that face with all the, the fucked up uh, psychological stuff he's going through as well, if you had to deal with that with Eddie Bayless and you're trying to be a successful attorney, that might just be too fucking much for you. And this is an ambitious woman. She's not here to stay at home and tend to some invalid. She's got a fucking career that she's worked hard for because she's finally advancing in. She's like, I don't know if I want this bullshit. I don't know if I can handle that. I don't know. This might be too much for me. And that's some real shit. But also, she's attractive, but she's not like the typical babe. She's not Kim Basinger. And I think that she just makes the shit more real because she's a full person in this movie. And she kind of calls him on his bullshit too because he's fucking lying to her. He's got all these fucking problems he's hiding about from her. And yet he's still trying to restart this relationship with her without being honest with her. In his defense though, when he was like, hey, what if I was fucked up? And she's all like, ooh, I don't know. So he's got to stall until he gets his shit right because she is obviously is not sure. I mean, that's a no. That's basically a no. It's like, oh, I don't know. That's a no. Yeah. Uh, well, she did decide. It appeared that she decided she was going to marry the dude, though. So she just had to think about it. Eh, it seemed out yeah. of guilt, though. Well, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. But when you got to think about it, yeah, when you got to think about it. Yeah, no. But I think that's what, one of the reasons why this movie resonates for me is both those performers are allowed to be really real with some heavy psychological shit. And this is a fucking superhero movie. Mm. And usually they won't let you go to those kind of dark places. I love, too, this was back before before everybody is so concerned about toys and merchandising, this is R-rated. And you can tell. You oh, know? Yeah, language alone. I mean, today, you could probably get a right way with most of this stuff because of how far they've pushed PG-13 and because how much more allowance is given for violence versus language and sexual situations. But this movie, not only is it, you know, in terms of the level of violence and the language, but also the just the themes. This is some heavy shit. This is way too heavy for, you know, little kids at least, you know. So, I, and I respect the 
that it, they'd rule to go to these places. But I think a lot of that had to do with the actors having integrity. You got Liam Neeson. Fucking, is he an Oscar winner? He's at least been nominated, right? Mm. Yeah, you're talking around person. I've yeah, never, never been a huge Liam Neeson fan. Right. But you will acknowledge that this is an acclaimed actor with a huge. Well, he's in, he's in some very high career. profile franchises, yes. But he, here he's young, he's hungry, you're managing him to get that caliber of actor. I think he just retired from acting and he's just stepping out of no, retirement. No, he's still acting. He's retired from action movies, I believe. Oh, action. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've heard that motherfucker retire from like film like 15 different times. So forget mm-hmm. that, dude. People do that all the time, yeah. But you wouldn't normally get an actor of that caliber under that kind of makeup. To this day, you won't see that because they know how fucking arduous it is. But back then, he was young and hungry and he did it. And I think that he's able oh, yeah. to convey the, stuff those prosthetics, Those prosthetics on his face could not have been fun to endure yeah. every single freaking day. And to act through and like, because like, you should explain, even the teeth. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got a crazy like dental thing going on to have his teeth all jacked up like that. I mean, it, that's, uh, yeah, a, a lot of actors would be like, well, I'm passing on this. No, thanks. Right. Uh, but it was, Unless it was for a Marvel movie. Yeah. Uh, but even then, you know, if it's not one of the major characters, I may not want to fool with that stuff. But I, I like to, I think he learned the same lesson that the Planet of the Apes actors learned. He figured out how to overact so that he can penetrate that disguise. It's, it's so hard to see the human being underneath all those layers of latex, but he conveys that extremely well. And he, it's necessary because some of the, just the movie is showing his psychology, the damage that's been done to this man. While we're talking, though, let's discuss some race shit that's going on in this movie. Can we talk about the race shit that's going on in this movie? Are we talking about the Asians? Hung fat. Oh, honorable Durant, I cannot give you your money today. My servants are not performing and they hope the white powder is just not doing what it used to do. It's like, man, this is this is some fucking dated ass racial bullshit here. Uh, how about the Latino gangster that's working with them? You know, with his, it, it looks like they cake on the brown to make him browner. No, man. Plus that's... he's got the fucking scar and shit. The long, come on, we gotta talk about this shit. The, it, it's a movie of its time period. I'm not gonna bash on it because that was acceptable at the Even time. Even the Asian stuff? Robot. So good of you to favor me with your venerated presence. The money. The money. Yes, Robert. How oh, I tremble with shame. I have no money. Yeah, that's a, that was acceptable at that time. I mean, I'm it's sure if you China, watch, look, man, it's all, dude. You watch Bruce Lee films from the late '70s, and man, they're they would be considered very offensive today. But it's just they were films of their period. I mean, you can't they're not judge them like racial epithets. On yeah, them. they're not like I mean, they're not straight out. Yes, they're playing up stereotypical characters, but they're not straight out being racist. I wouldn't. I can't. You're just a little stretching on that one, buddy. If you say so, I, I do think though that they playing into the racial stereotypes also gives it that pulp. 1930s feel that they're deriving a lot of this material from because he owes as much to the shadow the spider as he does to a Batman for instance yeah So Sam Raimi's a comic book fan. He grew up on like Spider-Man, which is one of the reasons why I love doing those movies so much. Uh-huh. I have to wonder, watching this movie, if he didn't read some old Adam comic too. Because the relationship between Peyton and Julie is very similar to what we had with Ray Palmer and Jean Laurie, where she's a lawyer, she's career first. And so in the comics, the Adam tries to help Jean Loring in her law career so that she'll get advanced enough to where she's willing to go ahead and marry him and start a family. In this, the whole movie is really driven by Julie's decisions, Julie's work, because 
because she's the reason why Peyton gets blown up in the first place. She's the reason why Peyton's trying to come back from all that stuff that happened to him and and try to become the man that he used to be. Julie starts up the relationship with the real estate developer guy, who it turns out she finds the Belisarius memorandum because of it had a distinctive coffee stain on it. And so she finally realizes that the real estate guy was working with Durant the whole time and got her fiancé killed or would-be fiancé killed. So she goes back to tell Peyton what she's discovered, leading the gangsters to him for the, the big confrontation between Peyton and the gang. So as Mac pointed out, everything in this movie is Julie's fault, but she's also driving almost everything that happens in the movie. Yeah, I, she's just, uh, well, it's just one fuck up after another for her. She just, I mean, she's like, because before she realized the real estate dude was crooked, she's all like, Peyton's back. Oh my God, he's back and he's da da da. And it's like, why would you go just, because oh, she's like, because I can't see you anymore because Peyton's back. But uh, but then, clearly underselling the relationships that she was like, oh, he meant nothing to me, he just offered me some comfort. Right, but then she has to break up with him, basically. Right. It's like, mm, well, okay. And then it all goes south she from there. She caught that D, we know. Right. And then, uh, but but that's when she sees him random after that. And so then now she finds like, oh, I just told the bad guy that he's the one who's been fucking everything up for them. So. And then, and goes then, and straight then to she goes straight to him, so they just follow her. It's, ugh. Yeah, anyway. So how about that action sequence? The helicopter scene? Yeah, all of it. Oh, it was good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Terrible. I'm starting to lose it in this movie. Okay, so I think we, we have to break it up into two sections. The plant, where they're, where they're, where they're rolling about the textile plant. Better. Uh, what did you like and dislike about that? I liked how he was using the masks to, like, he put the mask on the Hispanic dude to trick the other dude into shooting him. That stuff was kind of cool. Mm. I thought that they did good explosives work, and I think yeah. they got a lot of use out of his theatrical cape because it's constantly swirling around, and the, he's running, going down of, rails. It was kind of brutal, of though, when he's beating up on the long-haired guy, and he's just, like, oh, yeah, just punching it, him in. Because they're doing the, the, you can watch the fist coming at the cameras. He's, bah, bah, and they cut to them, like, reeling in pain. You know? Blood splattering. He's just, like, just wailing the shit out of him. So that was a little brutal. Yeah, and I like the rooftop where the dude's shooting the grenade launcher at him instead of a pistol or something like that. That was mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, it's cool. Has, he has the uh, tilted backwards to load each grenade, so you got a, kind of a cool little motion there. And, of course, he's shooting from a helicopter, which leads yeah. into the helicopter sequence, where Peyton latches onto the side of the helicopter, manages to jump on, which actually does sort of happen. Liam Neeson was attached to the side of the helicopter. They went up. They were supposed to go up like 10 feet is what they told him. They ended up going like 60 plus feet in the air, and he's afraid of heights. So at first he was, you know, fine, you know, punching Durant and fighting, and then he looks down and he completely froze. And I think that's from everything from there is like blue screen and stunt doubles. Yeah, so then, so he basically falls from the helicopter, and there's like a Crane. strap and a, and a hook that he falls and holds onto. And then, you know, Dr. Giggles is like, let's shake him. So the brothers are just flying around the town trying to shake him off the helicopter. And it's just, this is so 90s shit. I feel like in the 90s was like the fucking heyday for helicopter stunts. Mm-hmm. Where every fucking action movie had to have some dude hanging from a fucking helicopter or holding on to the landing gear of a helicopter or some shit like that. It's just an opportunity to have one helicopter filming another helicopter. And ooh, it's a helicopter. So it kind of freaks people out. So he's basically just swinging from the bottom of this helicopter. And you can't attach somebody to a fucking airplane or something. So yeah. that's where you can do stuff in the air. And it looks probably more impressive than it and really he's is. smashed through office buildings and running yeah. on trucks. But, but, and the yeah, but he's smashing him through. He's smashing him into an office building. He's like, I don't know. He makes some dumb line. And then he gets pardon sucked. Me. Yeah, pardon me. Or pardon my mess or whatever. And then it yanks him out. And then, then yeah, he gets dropped too close to some trucks. And he's like running. But he's running. 
running at like super speed, so they speed it up. And every time they show him, it's obviously him in front of a blue screen. And they'll do a large panned out shot of a helicopter flying and a guy who obviously is stunt double. It's double hanging at the bottom. And then like a police helicopter is following him. And it's another excuse just to show a long pan of two helicopters flying close to each other. And then they cut back to Darkman swinging around on the hook. Horribly blue screen. And and, and then now he's in traffic and he gets hit by a car. And it's just... Well, not just any car. Just fix it. Yeah, it was uh, San Raimi's famous... What is it? I think it's a Pontiac. They call it the classic. It's the the Ash car. Yeah, the Ash car. Ash Williams from Evil Dead. And a whole bunch of spinoff stuff. Where does it go from there? Uh, This was all like... It was... This sequence was way too long. Way too long. This was their big... This is their big action spectral. This is like the last big set But it wasn't. It was all... It was all blue screen. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, they were really flying helicopters around Los Angeles, which you could not do today. And and then it gets... And they did really... Like, I don't know... uh, They didn't drag an actual helicopter into the underpass that uh, that depicted in the movie, which kills Durant, the the big bad of the movie. But they did drag something through an actual L.A. tunnel, causing some damage, and basically, like, L.A. shut that shit down for going forward. So So they they, should... They ruined it for everyone. So they should have cut three minutes of the middle out, because the ending was fine, where he he hooks it to a big rig, and and so the helicopter can't fly up, and it basically pulls it into the tunnel. That's fine. I got no problem with that. It was all the hokey stuff in the middle they probably needed to cut out. And I didn't mind him shooting the grenade launcher, because it's just complete action movie excess. Michael Bay kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. whereas instead of trying to shoot Lots of casualties, lots of casualties in this movie. Instead of shooting a pistol at Darkman, trying to get him, trying to kill him hanging off, instead of shooting his grenade launcher, trying to pinpoint the dude. But it's directly underneath him, so he can't quite. So instead, he's hitting traffic and bridges all around him. All that was that was fine, but they just that needed to be cut a little bit. And see, I'd argue that the big goofy comedy moments kind of help to mitigate how brutal the movie is. The movie is fairly sadistic at times. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I recall that uh, reviewers took issue with how violent the movie was. It's how brutal it was. Kooky and sadistic. Yeah, that's just it. The kookiness helps to offset that. You've got like kind well, of this uh, It's also a little off-putting. I think it's a little off-putting too. So I could totally see how normal viewers would be like, what? Like like the clown scene with yeah. the kooky clown music and then he literally bends a dude's fingers 180 degrees backwards as he loses his mind and goes crazy. Like to me, that's like, it, it, it spells cult classic, but there's no way a mainstream audience would think that they would, they would have walked out by now. Yeah, but you know the movie got the budget that it did get because Batman had done so well and this was already in the pipeline. So it's like, well, let's throw some movie at money at at this movie let's promote it like it did Batman everybody acknowledges the movie made the money that it did because of how good the promotion was they had this whole campaign of who is Darkman great trailers and of course those those wonderful print ads so. but yeah they were, they were chasing that Batman dollar but you do have this conflict between the creative vision which is much more gonzo and the desired financial rewards that could have come from biting Batman's act I just don't understand where the fucking helicopter came from it had to just be we have budget money to rent a helicopter so let's fucking rent a helicopter because to me there could have been a million different ways he finally got Dr. Giggles out of this movie and it said he just he kills him in a helicopter like this this dude has been it's been impersonal shouldn't he have cut his fingers off or shouldn't he like, well, it's like why the, doesn't this dude get what's coming to him Instead, back at just, the factory Peyton sets up the exact circumstance under which he was blown up right and you see the, the drinky crow and the lighter and then they have a little twist to it and so that feels like a poetic justice moment but it's just one of the bullshit it's one of the that bullshit that guys he gets not Durant I know that, that was the exact same thing I was thinking while I was watching that I'm like why is the slappy guy who was shooting the fake leg why is he the one who gets duped into, like you said, the poetic justice uh, finale? Did, ever, did I miss them killing chase. the fake leg guy? I don't remember seeing him get by it yet. He's like the one guy, right, that's yeah, left that know. they haven't killed off yet? I don't know.
look like hell, Robert. That son of a bitch Westlake malfunctioned my helicopter. How terrible for you. He's a cockroach. You think you kill him? Then he pops up someplace else. I expect he'll <laughs> pop up here soon. See, I know how he thinks. I don't think the world will grieve over one less attorney. Okay, who wants to close out the movie? Mac. Okay, so they go to the... So after they crash Dr. Giggles in the helicopter, they fast forward to the um, construction site where he's building the new city of the future or whatever, well, right? And let's go ahead and point out that uh, Rainey is from Michigan. The city that... This, uh, this is obviously L.A. There's no way you can get around. The filming obviously takes place in L.A., but I believe it's supposed... To, didn't you guys say it was set in Detroit? Well, it looks like that was the... Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Beginning, but. And what else is set in Detroit? Robocop. Robocop. And what is the big plot behind RoboCop? The exact same plot as this movie. Which is? We're trying to build a new city so we're dealing with criminals so that they can take care of our dirty work and a good guy gets uh, in the way of that. And in is, a pretty severe way. Yeah. And he's he's in a violent way transformed into our hero. Which one came out? Was, oh, RoboCop was 84? Uh, RoboCop was 87. This 87, was 90. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I think that I, until you guys mentioned it I didn't catch the similarities and then once you mentioned it you could not see the similarities. Yeah. Oh, no. I was from the moment we started I'm like, wow, this is very RoboCop like, you know, the Alex Murphy protocol is in effect. Let me continue with the recap. Okay. So we're at the construction site. Evil realtor guy is there and he meets up with Dr. Giggles. And that's what and we And he's all... got Julie in tow at gunpoint, handcuffed with a... Does she have the gag over her mouth already? Yeah. Yeah, probably. right? So um, he's t- they, they hop into an elevator and he's like, oh, he really fucked up my helicopter, but I survived. <laughs> Even though we all know it's fucking Darkman and the prosthetic, right? He did at least put some battle damage on his yeah. figure, though. Uh, so then they go up the elevator to the top and they're walking on the, the metal beam eye beams yeah. and the real dudes talking about by the way about, did anybody else get flashbacks to Runaway during that no because I've never seen it These a little bit with uh, with uh, Magnum P.I. yeah yeah a little bit except you need the little robot spiders that You're are right. everywhere yeah so hey everybody welcome to Runaway Podcast no uh <laughs> the guy's going on about how you know my dad used to bring me up here to the construction site which is me and the Indians because we're the only ones crazy enough to work up here and all stuff and it's like okay whatever high speed winds I would five, just jump around five inches wide sometimes. five inches wide six hundred fifty feet high. So he's kind of sort of dancing on the, these I-beams and he makes an offhand comment. He's like, oh yeah, I'm really glad you survived back there. I'd hate to have their kids grow up without their father or whatever. And he was like, yes, uh, they really look up to me. And then later on, that's where the turn is later on. He's like, hey, Durant or Robert or whatever. He's like, you don't have any kids. He turns around and he snatches the mask off Darkman's face. Did you guys catch the gay subtext on Durant? No. The actor, Larry Drake, was playing him gay. And there's little tells throughout the movie. I didn't catch it when I saw the movie myself, but once I heard it, I caught it. He really liked Ted Raimi's character. Well, yeah, they joked about that. Oh, the scene where he jerked him off. Right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they they make these little notes like, you're supposed to know he doesn't have kids because he doesn't go that way. I know he likes Ted, you know, that one in the morning. No, no, he really likes Ted. Right, right. So you you can see it now, right? Yeah. And then the scene where he was jerking him off. (laughs) Also. Okay, well, no, but now that makes makes some sense. (laughs) This is a terrible quote-unquote fight scene where Darkman is just wobbling on these beams going whoa and then I'll fall forward and go whoa I think if you watch the movie though he fights like a scientist for most of the movie he's a grappler he grabs you and then the super strength and the hulking out kicks in and he can do some damage but he's not really great with a fisticuff unless he surprises you somebody who can handle themselves can take him on and this dude but there's despite even like being, there's like a pan there's like a scene where they pull back to show them both on these beams and they're both just wobbling back and forth whoa. trying to 
Whoa. extra balance. And I'm like, yeah, okay, we get it. They're up high. So there's, so then. Well, I think they, in the actual filming, they were up high because I think somebody actually got injured because they fell 10 feet or something off of oh, these fake eye beams. Oh, 10 feet. No, but I mean, talk about it in real life, though. Okay, well, then why the fuck is there so much green or blue screen if they were really up <laughs> high? Um, so well, yeah, that's all it the is. Rest of the there's a lot of like off balance fighting, and there's another goon, and he falls, and then she so falls. Was he the one legged guy or no? No. They never got rid of the one legged guy, huh? I don't know. He might have got killed in the factory. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, then there's all sorts of like. Oh, you know what? No, they didn't. Because I, I remember now from the special features that got, he got killed in the factory and he got cut. So oh. we never actually see him die. So they made this joke about he can still turn up one of these days. So yeah, you know, it's just your normal like high rise fight battle where dudes are catching their balance and falling and then they don't, they fall and catch themselves on something and she falls. They and fall her through Her handcuffs get of, caught you know, on, on some rebar and, you know, that kind of stuff. The kind of stuff you'd expect. Yeah. Culminates to, to dude. Oh, he, he's holding dude by the leg. He's like, you're not going to kill me. Well, don't forget hey, that he's yeah. running around shooting the. Uh, oh, the rivet gun. He starts yeah. shooting rivet guns at him. And, and, and he rivets his hand. His hand yeah. Rivets his hand to a, a, an eye beam. And then he's all like, he's like, calls him a freak. He's like, you're just a freak. And that's when he goes a freak. That's when he has this Hulk out moment. And they do another one of the. And suddenly he can fight. Hulk out montages. And he rips his hand through the rivet and something. And then he, yeah, now all of a sudden he can fight. And then he's holding him. He's like, ah, you know, I know you. You can't kill me. It's not in your DNA to kill me or whatever. And then he closes his eyes and lets him go. And he kills him. Yeah. Because they did do a decent job throughout the movie of showing that he was having real serious doubts about what was happening to him that he was able to commit these heinous murders essentially these executions of the criminals but when he hulks out he can't control himself and he deuces them so I think in this circumstance what it was is he had hulked out but he was starting to he, the real estate guy was trying to calm him down so he could fuck with his head and make him feel guilty and they, they probably should have made some mentions you're not going to kill me in front of Julie are you she'd never forgive you but they didn't go there for some reason randomly but he could he closed his eyes and he drops him and he lands on the spikes of course and then they do a elevator ride back down where he basically explains look what was it what was his name Peyton Wesley Peyton Peyton's dead I'm just dark man peace out and then he puts on a mask well, and he, what's funny is he didn't want her to look at him and she insists I want to look at you so he turns and she has this gas moment where I think you could hear her pussy dry up <laughs> literally the sound of all the moisture <laughs> out of there at least some of it was on his face oh, uh, he, he was he was damp he, he got a workout apparently well now you're going too far so uh and then so basically after that she runs out of the elevator and all of a sudden it's daylight it was really weird. Yeah, the sun <laughs> and, came up really quick. And she's like grabbing different dudes in the street going, Peyton, Peyton, Peyton. And they're all just like dudes. And then we see the real Peyton, but not real Peyton. And he turns and the mask he put on is Bruce Campbell. Everybody knows Bruce Campbell. Hail to the chief, baby. Ash Williams. And he's all like, oh, I'm fucking dark man. And he walks off. I like that little subtle bit there at the end because apparently Raimi wanted Bruce Campbell since they worked together on all these movies and they were buddies. They're lifelong friends. They And they, they're co-executive producers on all the Evil Dead stuff that you still see today. But the studio wasn't into Bruce Campbell. He had never proven himself to them so they wanted somebody with a little bit more bankability I don't know that Liam Neeson was that bankable in 1990 but he had some familiarity he'd done some projects and they just felt more comfortable going outside of Raimi's little circle I do think the movie might have been stronger with Bruce Campbell I do think the physical stuff would have definitely been stronger because I think he's proven he's basically a stuntman as well as an actor with all the stuff that he had to go through in the Evil Dead movies but then it would have just been Ash and not really dark I don't movie. know though I don't know if that's true because it <laughs> yeah, yeah, that carnival scene where they even have sort of the almost fisheye lens in his face as he's freaking out and going crazy to me that's like a scene from the evil dead like, yeah. and, and if that would have been Ash's face it would have been, been like, just Ash playing yeah, Dark Man yeah, yeah, I, I, you know you, I think you make a good point I do think that Liam Neeson is a better Peyton Wesley I'm not sure that Bruce Campbell wouldn't be a better Dark Man though other than the fact 
that he's like six foot five. He's like he's a he's really that no, tall. I didn't know. Liam Neeson is oh, tall. Yeah, Liam Neeson is a big dude. Yeah. So oh, he definitely and he, you can tell he towers over people. Yeah, he's way that's why when they try everybody. to double him, it's tricky because he's probably taller than next his to what's her name. He like tower. Oh, yeah. oh my god. And Francis so McDormand is not small to my recollection either. But I think that because when he was playing Briscoe County, I think that that was a very different character from Ash Williams. So I think he's able to shift gears. But I think you're right too when he's doing the manic stuff. Yeah. He would suddenly turn into Ash Williams. That could be a problem. So, yeah. yeah. But it was a nice little, you know, nod. And if they had done sequels, I really wish they had done some some actual theatrical sequels. It would have been nice to have seen Bruce Campbell do that. But I think that he went, they went straight into Army of Darkness after this. And I think that was his priority there. So I'm, I'm assuming Liam Neeson was not in the sequels. No. No, no, no. They were direct to video. I'm sure he was doing like Rob Roy by then or something like that. Yeah. Uh, who did the sequel? Dr. Giggles was in him. Dr. Was Giggles was, was in one of them. He, he was, was in one, one of them, the yeah. sequels. But do you remember who played uh, Dr. Peyton Dr. West like in the DTV movies? No. No, I don't remember that. Arnold Vosloo. Arnold the mummy? Right. I thought you were uh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. We did watch that. That's right. That's right. Because wasn't Arnold Vosloo the guy that Wizard Magazine cast for every bald person whenever they did one of their roll calls? Probably. Yeah. yeah. So I, 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 I thought you might recognize the name because of that. Puck. I don't think he was Professor X, but he did play a bunch of bald dudes, like maybe Apocalypse at some point. You really kind of cool sort, Apocalypse. That sounds right. So what do we think about the movie? It was better than I was expecting, but I do think that last act really turned me off. It's so strong at the beginning. Yeah. It does wear out its welcome a little bit. Honestly, you know what? It, and I made this joke earlier, but it really felt the movie reminded me of it because there's so many s- similar settings. Was it reminds me of Ang Lee's Hulk? There's a lot of really unique transitions, and it's really a different way to look at a comic book movie. And there's a lot of science shit. You know, you did your science, science yeah. earlier, just like we did in the Hulk podcast. But, Much but more successfully here, though, I believe. Way more successfully. I felt like the transitions fit the scenes as opposed to I felt that Ang Lee came up with some cool transitions and then worked a movie around it. I didn't burn out on them in this movie but I just thought it was just really well shot and every scene had some kind of different angle to it or something that, was, that kind of made you think like whoa like even in the beginning where they're smashing Liam Neeson's head into these different cabinets they're glass face cabinets but when they, they smash his face into it so, so they show the guy pulling his head back but when he smashes through they've got the camera inside the cabinet so he comes through the his face comes through the glass at the camera like little stuff like that is yeah. just it's just or a little bit with, different with the rivet guns being fired you get rivet POV as it's shooting at Peyton Westlake yeah yeah, well, okay, sure. Um, you didn't like that? I mean, but, I guess it was kind of cool. I, to, to me, all of that ran out in the last act. And the last act was sort of just that, and I thought that was so close fighting. to the eyeball scene in, in Evil Dead 2 that it's like, oh, you're doing the eyeball sequence. Okay, so. In the last act, there's just no space for cool transitions and cool. It's really okay. just sort of well, they, they seem blue to screen run out of fights gas. and helicopter shit. Yeah. It just kind of ran out of energy. Yeah, and I I really felt that they could have been as creative as they were in the first three quarters of the movie in the last quarter. Instead, it was really just kind of a bullshit. Uh, movie ha- action movie helicopter chase and then a fight scene on a, on a building like, I think a lot of what makes Darkman unique is how much of the internal stuff is being shown yeah. what's going on inside Peyton where the action sequences at the end are very external it's all about him fighting people he's much better at dancing with a funnel on his head pretending to be the Tin Man or the Scarecrow depending on you know, the dance moves are definitely Scarecrow he's much better at that than he is at the action stuff at that point in his career I think Raimi as well well and and I think so, so this and that was I don't. I, I, I'm still just. I really think that the end of the movie should have been he blows up Doctor Giggles the way Doctor Giggles blew him up, or some sort of like you said the poetic callback. Yeah, Th- this movie was setting itself up for a poetic justice ending, right? Mm-hmm. I mean that that's how all these movies are, and I think that Raimi could have done something really psychological with it and been like, oh shit, that's really fucked up the way he he finally got his revenge on these guys, and really like the revenge is so weak sauce. Uh, and dropping mean, off the building, yeah, and, and, again, and, and the fact his that he's whole fighting thing, a guy who while 
ultimately is responsible for his condition. The personal they enmity is set up where they, they've yeah. never met the whole movie, and, and it's all it's been him versus Durant. And so when Durant's gone, you're like, yeah. we're still doing this. So his shtick is obviously it's not fighting. He has super strength and he has no nerves, but that's never his shtick throughout the movie. The shtick is that he assumes these people's identities, and you get that a little bit with him taking Durant's identity in the end. But then they, they blow his cover in like five seconds. Yeah. So you know what I mean? It, it was sort of like, well, that well, was his think, whole I, thing. That might they, be part of the deal, though, is that they essentially when they unmask him, they depower him. He no longer has the, the subterfuge. He no longer has that. All he has, and and he's not wanting to hulk out in front of Julie. So it's like he's at his most vulnerable. I think that's what they were shooting for. I don't yeah, think it quite I don't works. Think they got but it. I, but I see where they were trying to. I, I kind of see where they were trying to go for that. So. No, I got that. They unmask him. He now right. has to be. He has well, to that, accept that he's dark man. Where he disappears in the midst of a construction site where there's nothing to hide behind. It's like, how did you? When did you turn into a ninja? Okay, wait, what? That, that was well, a little. And, and then like when he's swinging on the hook to go save her, and it just looks so bad. <laughs> and, and so much of this movie, and, and I, some of that stuff, lot, I don't understand. Blue screen strikes. Blue screen really takes over there at the end, and it, it hurts. And and it's doing stuff that you don't need a blue screen for. Yeah. Well, what the fuck did you need a blue screen for? Some of that stuff. I don't. I guess some of the helicopter stuff. Well, I if you're going to do Luke and Leia going across the chasm, I don't remember them using a blue screen then either. You know, what? that painting actually swinging, and you're blue screening the swing. It's just, yeah, yeah. It, it's like you're you're telling me they're 650 feet up in the air. They don't. We know they're actually not. So I get it. If there's a cityscape in the background, you got a blue screen in the cityscape. Mm-hmm. But the cityscape. But the rest of it, you don't need to. The rest of it's kind of shot from underneath. You're seeing stars in the background. I do like do that, that John Galt moment though, where he's talking about you know I built this city and the camera managed the pan in such a way yeah, where you go from cool. the night sky to the actual city that he's building. I built it all. Yeah, that, so that was cool. a nice little bit. But it's not. It doesn't save a, kind of a weak final act. Yeah, and, and again, like you said, Durant's the bad guy. Right. This realtor dude is just he's like a total limp dick. Like I, I don't really know what they don't do anything to make us build his the hate up for him throughout this movie as much as we hate Doctor Giggles. Doctor Giggles is the one who fucks with everybody. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. If anything, I feel like Doctor Giggles should have killed that dude at some point, and then you know what I mean. Like, like right, you, you just want to see more of him because he has such a great presence and he is the, the malicious force throughout this movie. And instead, you've got this douchebag who's and he's so reckless. Like, of course, he would be the one to kill his own boss, mm-hmm. right? Like, I feel like it's totally something that he would have done. The dude looks at him wrong and he just goes off and starts finding a grenade launcher at people. He, he totally would have killed his boss. The realtor guy should have been the Miguel Ferrer character in RoboCop. Actually, but it is similar to RoboCop too because remember the final confrontation it's Ronnie Cox you know and the Ed 209 it's yeah. like but the guy that we cared about was Kirkwood Smith he's already gone so RoboCop actually had a similar fuck up but they managed to gloss over it better because it was still a cool sardonic ending. This one doesn't go there. This movie is too sincere and so you don't have the punch in the ending that RoboCop had. Yeah. So I, I whereas I, I, I was vibing pretty good with the movie for the first two thirds or three quarters the the ending is just so meh. Yeah. And what about you Fix? Same for me. I enjoyed the first half of the movie and then at the end they just ran out of gas. They added another villain. He had the uh, Spider-Man 3 problem where you add another villain that you didn't really need. Like we didn't need the evil real estate guy. You, you needed to resolve the relationship with Julie but the tacked on last action sequence could have been done with yeah, yeah. I didn't particularly care for that so. Yeah I, I see where you're coming from. For me what I love about the movie or like I was saying he's there's this movie so sadistic fuck these dudes up. Like mm. what are you just dropping dudes off a building and you blow another guy up in a helicopter. What if you go through all the trouble of him well like one of the best especially with Dr. Is- Giggles yeah. Dr. Giggles they even go through a point of being in his house and show that he's like a semi-taxidermy where yeah, he's taxidermying he the, the fingers. fingers that he cuts off people and stuff yeah do something with that yeah, where's, yeah, where's this dude's comeuppance he just crashes in a helicopter 
helicopter? Mm-hmm. After all the other fucked up shit you're doing in this movie? I and mean, that, you wouldn't well, have been pushing it too far. You've already gone. It's already rated R. You've yeah, already you know, gone you, far you, with and it. And then the residential, uh, yes, and, yeah. and then the guy, the real estate mogul at the end where he's like, well, you know, my wife, I took her out. Something about he landed and she didn't. And yeah, I'm just like, she, she killed, he killed her off to get her money or some so shit. So they like they're trying to make him evil. That's like their quick way of, oh, by the way, he's evil because he killed his wife. Yeah, but really before on. that, he was just a real estate guy trying yeah. to pull some, some crooked deals to yeah. get some land done. What's up? Well, that he was such a smarmy guy to begin with. You know this guy's dirty and yet you're going to shack up with him. So again, it comes back to Jules being kind of fucked up and fucking a lot of shit up because she's fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. But uh, I love the movie because so many superhero movies up to that point felt compromised. It felt like guys who convey some of the iconography of comics, but they were movie people first. And so there was a sort of apologetic quality to the, their movie presentations. Even Donner was very sincere in his presentation, but the Donner movie owed a lot to the TV show more so than the comic books. And then Tim Burton made movies about the villains. He wasn't a great Batman director. He was a great Joker director. He was a great Catwoman director, Penguin director. Not a great Batman director. Batman did not get a proper movie really until the Christopher Nolan's, not counting the 66 movie, which definitely is a Batman movie, but I'm talking about like a serious take. So for me, this was the only 90s style superhero movie made in the 90s with that 90s flavor that had that kinetic energy that had that kind of cutting where it felt like it was modern. It felt like somebody who had understood the language of comics and was able to communicate that onto the screen for the first time. This was my favorite comic movie for a long time. This came out in 90. The first superhero movie to make me question whether or not this was my favorite arguably isn't a superhero movie. Some people claim The Matrix as a superhero movie. I don't. I think it's a live action anime. But if I do prefer The Matrix to this movie and then a number of years later when you get to the Marvel Cinematic Universe particularly The Avengers. The Avengers is when I finally knew this is my new favorite superhero movie. I loved Darkman for shit almost 20 years. More than 20 years before Avengers came out. It was my favorite superhero movie. Not necessarily my favorite comic book movie because I prefer Ghost World and that came out earlier than that for instance. What about Superman? I prefer Darkman to Superman. Over really? Yes. I prefer it over Batman's movies. I prefer it over Superman's movies up to the point of the Avengers coming out. I Dark Knight. First Avenger though. The, the Avenger. No, I, I I don't know if I like the first Avenger better than I like Dark Man. Oh, really? I love Cap, I, I love Captain America. I still had some reservations about the first Captain movie. There's stuff about it I love and stuff about it I still have some issues with. So disputably, but definitely by the time I saw Avengers, like okay, well, this is definitely my new favorite superhero movie, regardless of any conflict between Dark Man and Captain America: The First Avenger, Dark Man versus Batman Returns, which is another one I loved a lot. But it also was hobbled by it being a Tim Burton movie first and a comic book movie second. But I love the shit out of Dark Man. I love that energy that it had. And it took a long time before comic movies caught up to Dark Man. So, of course, I always wanted to see sequels. I wanted to see them do more with this. Obviously, the follow-ups were somewhat underwhelming, although we'll, we'll touch on that later on. But I do like the Dark Man concept. I do think that he works on that Blade level, where he's a more human, more street-level kind of character. The stakes have to be lowered because of that. But because of the brutality, because of the horror trappings, because I, you have to figure out who Dark Man is after this, because he's got his revenge. So you got to figure out, well, if he's not doing it for the love of Jules, if he's not doing it for revenge, why is he continuing to be Dark Man? What is he looking for? What is he trying to find out? And I think that would be an interesting series of movies to do. They never do that in the sequels. They never give him a reason for continuing to be Dark Man. He just keeps doing it because of circumstances. Hmm. But I do think there's enough in this character. He's such a great melange of influences, all that pulp stuff, all the horror stuff. There's just a lot there to work with. And I'm not sure how successful anybody has been with trying to do that. I really wish Raimi had gone back, or he could still go back. I think I'd love to see Raimi try to do this movie again. Or given how well I thought that Fed Alvarez did at remaking Evil Dead, turning him loose on a Dark Man remake. But I, 
I really feel like there's it's time for them to go back to Darkman because I think there's just a lot of potential with this character. He does have a cult following. I do worry. I do. I do think the cultures move past him, and I don't know that if they don't do something with him soon, I don't know that he's going to be remembered because I think that legacy is being erased by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's so good. It works so well that it's just not comparable to those movies anymore. I love it still. I thoroughly enjoy watching this movie again, but it's not comparable. It can't compete with those movies anymore. So I'd love to see them try to go back and do a hard R horror superhero action pulp movie like this again. Yeah, I don't, I don't see how Netflix couldn't get Sam Raimi to come in and make a Darkman mini, mini series. Maybe executive produce it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't think there's any shortage of platforms if he wanted to do it. It's got to just be him wanting to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, and having the time to. They're, they're constantly working on other stuff. I mean, you know, they just wrapped up Ash vs. the Evil Dead. You know, he's got stuff going on too. I, th- I don't remember the last thing Raimi directed though. What was the last thing he's done? I don't think I've seen anything he's done since Drag Me to Hell, which I enjoyed, but I watched it one time in the theater and I've never revisited it. Because I remember Go everybody was hailing it as a return of the master to horror and then I can't remember a thing he's done since then. Should I Google that real quick? Sure, let's do. Specifically director. Internet save us. One episode of Ash vs. Evil. You looking for movies though? Well, it, it doesn't matter. I know he directed the pilot to Ash vs. Evil Dead, which was awesome. The first o- season Oz of the show the was great. great. And powerful. That's right. I don't watch those movies, so he did do that. Yeah. Anything since then though? The Black Chiandola? Is that it's a movie a short? coming out? Okay. It's a horror short about zombies apparently. World War 3? Sci-fi action? I don't know if this is going to be a movie or not. So he, everything that he's got is pre-production right now then, I take it. Yeah. And the okay. King Killer Chronicles. So the last thing was the Oz movie with James Franco. And that oh. was a while back, right? Yeah, it's been a while. 2013, that's five years. Jeez. Because math. Because math. Just swimming in money. Just swimming in money. So what do you guys think about this guy's long-term prospects though? Do you think this guy's got a, a life in him or do you think that his time has passed? What do you think long about the look? Term? What do you think about the powers? Um, the, the world? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that's gonna be a no for me, dog. No? I don't think anybody gives a shit about a dude who wears makeup and pretends to be other people. What about on TV? It's gonna be a no for me, dog. Okay. Like, I, I I don't know. I mean, I, I think it would be fine for a miniseries remaking this, but like you said, after this is over with, what the fuck, what, what is his... Motivation. He just motivates, like, so he just fights crime, but he fights crime by witnessing a crime and then going and impersonating those people and gets revenge on them later on. Like, what the fuck? Like, I, I, the, the powers don't lend themselves to active crime fighting. That's a good point. I mean, if it maybe he wants to infiltrate, but Al Qaeda. <laughs> I don't know about Al Qaeda. I guess you get really hot. <laughs> Tom Clancy's Dark Man. <laughs> You can get Dwight from the office to be Darkman. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I, I'm not saying somebody more creative than me couldn't figure it out, but like you said, it, th- this is a very crow-like story where the crow but goes. I mean, clearly, Alex Poirier has borrowed a lot from this too. I yeah, think. I mean, he, he's going to go off, and he's going to. It's the redemption slash revenge of his death, and then once it's over, he can't go back to his old life because of his mangled or he's actually dead. Yeah. But once he's got revenge on all the people who put him in the situation he's in, I don't know what. what I mean, what's his deal now? What, what is he coming? He goes to become a doctor in a burn ward, and then I, I mean, I don't know. And I don't freak know. out on people and get fired from being a doctor in a burn ward, yeah. right? I mean, he can't. He's the dude's fucking unstable as shit. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. What about you, Mister Fixit? If they did do a reboot, it'd be more nostalgic. I don't think. Well, I mean, he, I think you'd have to rejigger it. Nah, to make it Mac work. makes a very good point. His powers do not really play into being a super a revenge guy, yes, but not a hero. I mean, it's he can't go out there and stop the crime with it. He's, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. 
it'd be, it'd be great. Now, if they played him up as an anti-hero, more of a villain, then yeah, it makes sense. I mean, all of a sudden he's Zartan from fucking G.I. Joe and shit where he's like morphing into other people and doing things. But I mean, unless you're going to have him like some fucking eco guy that he's impersonating the CEO of Exxon and shit to get him to stop doing bad shit. I <laughs> he's going like, back global warming now. Yeah, it's just kind of like, um, okay, that makes no, sense. No, no, no. He wants global warming. He wants to make it dark all the time. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> what a twist. Highlander 2. What a twist. He the, uh, yeah. Ozone layer prevention. He needs yeah. some fallout up there. So yeah, I, I just don't see. You know, you do a three-part miniseries. Where he obviously moves to uh, Alaska, where it's dark. Where the all nights the time. are really long, or whatever. Yeah, where it's dark, dark all the so time. So it goes from ninety-nine minutes to like all day long. Except for there's a, an hour window where his skin will melt, so he has to watch yeah, that twenty-fourth hour. I, yeah, man. I, I I don't know, dude. It's anyway. Sorry. I, no, I, but no. It's, I mean, well, how about the look at least? Is it too basic? No, I thought he looks great. He's just kind of a, a riff off of the uh, Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, it's very Phantom of the Opera mummy sort of you, you got, have one half Dr. of his face sandages I mean you have one of his fa- half his face is deformed where the mask would go over and More he's wearing the cape <laughs> so I mean yeah, I mean, he's just a fan of the opera look so okay well I love dark man <laughs> He doesn't. Always, it doesn't always translate. No, no, I, I don't. I don't think it was a bad movie. I, 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 but I, mean, Dude, I was just, surprised. Just bootcocking hate all over this film. I was film, surprised man. how good it was. But, but this, like I said, this is I, I don't know where this goes from here, though. I don't exactly. know how you could do an ongoing. And that, that's the thing. They've they've done some comics, but not a lot. They weren't terribly successful. They've done movies, but not a lot. They weren't terribly successful. He, they try to do a TV show. We'll get into that. We'll see how well that works. He's like the A team where when shit goes wrong, you try to find him, and if he takes your case, then he'll work backwards. Yeah, I guess you could do that. It looks like hey, dude, I'm trying to throw you a bone here. I'm throwing you a bone. I love it when a plan comes together. This is the story of an outcast. My story. I had everything once until it was all taken away and I became the dark man. I'd found a way to replace damaged skin tissue, but the skin didn't last. Nothing lasts when you get in the way of Robert G. Durant. No heroics, please. Vincenzo, Durant's enforcer. They came to steal my formula for synthetic skin. Durant plagued this city. Controls it from the mayor down to the cops on the street. Julie, my wife. She died in the explosion. But I survived. My nerves severed so I could feel no physical pain. Nothing. Except the adrenaline rush of a raging bull. And I summoned the will to go on. Watching over his city. Waiting for revenge. As the world crumbled around me. Leaving only the rich and the wretched. Homeless children turning the city into their playground. It's a Prince song. Yeah, it's good off. Yeah. But they keep playing that one part over and over. They're just like. Yeah, this is probably temp music they were just using as a placeholder. You gotta remember, this was never intended to be aired. By the way, I'm pretty sure that's the kid from The People Under the Stairs. Oh, I thought it was Rudy from The Hustles. On this show, All you owe is an attitude. Don't be dissing me, you fake head motherfucker. Can you want to describe what we just saw? 
I, I could not give it I do it justice. That was the most fucking bizarre thing I've ever seen. Okay, so pause it a second. Dark man's in a back alley where a African American child is graffitiing the word evil, and Dark Man takes exception to him spelling it E V O L. And so this little homeless kid's got an attitude. He's like, Get you, I spell the word however I feel like spelling it. And then he throws his spray can at Dark Man who catches it. Dark Man uses his crazy person's strength to squeeze the spray can until it ruptures, until it blasts silver paint all over this poor kid, but then walks away from the wall to reveal a silhouette in the shape of his body. <laughs> that was and, and that fucking ridiculous. It, it was absolutely like a cartoon. It was kind of hilarious. I'm not sure. I feel wrong about laughing at that. I feel like there must be something like insidious about that that I'm not quite getting as a white dude, but I, I still laughed at it because it's so ridiculous to see that in live action. Weird shit I've ever seen. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's love by <laughs> I, I enjoyed it quite a bit when I saw it in the theater. Okay. That was fucking weird. So why didn't you follow up with any of the materials that came after, though? Like, uh, Well, no, I did see the sequel. I told you, I saw Dark Man 2 and didn't particularly care for it. Yeah. I didn't know about the TV series. I had seen the comics, but I'd never been a big fan of adaptations of characters in comics from film, except maybe the Alien Predator stuff and the Terminator stuff, the sci-fi stuff. But, like, I'd never read any of the, at that point, like, Star Wars stuff or James Bond. The sci-fi stuff I did. Like Terminator, Robocop, Terminator, Predator, Alien. Those are the books that there was a division between the books and the series. So I could watch the more TV, like movies that went into comics. For me, it's like Firefly. I enjoy watching the, the series and I like watching Serenity, but I can't read the comics because mm-hmm. I need those actors, those little facial tics, those little idiocracies that they do to make me believe in the character. If I read it on a comic, I don't hear Malcolm Reynolds in my head. So after seeing the movie and then you saw the directed home video Darkman 2 so that's no nothing has ever appeared in the movie theater besides I, I the first Darkman I think I rented it I probably rented it I probably did rent it I rented Darkman 2 as well and I thought it was terrible and I don't even know if I ever finished it but I've been on a Darkman kick lately it just so happened that Darkman 3 was running on cable and I caught a few minutes of it and was amused by what I saw and decided to record Darkman 2 and 3 and I wanted to discuss Darkman you decided to volunteer to watch Darkman 3 die Darkman die and related to that we also watched the unused unused pilot that was released in 1992. The company put a lot of effort into publicizing it. I had a really strong ad campaign and in fact, Raimi credits the ad campaign for making the movie work because he felt that the finished movie wasn't what he had been trying to make. He wasn't happy with the finished Dark Man, but he felt that it made the money that it made because of the promotional campaign. The movie was made for $16 million, which was a reasonable sum back in the day. In adjusted dollars, is about $30 million. It made about $46 million, which in adjusted dollars is about $89, $90 million. Respectable money, but anything under $100 million these days you're not really going to pay a lot of attention to and it's sort of similar to them. If they were expecting Batman Returns they did not get that. So there wasn't any major immediate follow-up to the Darkman movie. They did do some novels, a novelization of the movie and then they did four created specifically four books, stories. They did a comic adaptation and then a few years later they did additional new comics continuing the story. Well, obviously Rainey formed, I don't know if he had Renaissance before this point because he hadn't done very many movies. He had done Evil Dead, which was a flick that he basically crowdsourced. Like, everybody from the small town in Michigan that he came up from donated to make that movie happen, which is why the rights for Evil Dead was always an issue for a number of years. When he made Evil Dead 2, he couldn't actually use any footage from the first 
Resident Evil Dead because they didn't hold the rights to it. And that's why the Evil Dead 2 has, like, the first 20 minutes is an encapsulation of what happened in the first Evil Dead because he couldn't show any footage from the first movie. After Evil Dead 2, I want to say he did Darkman. And I think somewhere in the midst of that, he also did the movie Crime Wave, which was a pretty big flop. It was, like, kind of a big, broad, violent comedy. And so he got Darkman made. And then I believe after Darkman, the Strength of Darkman, he finally got to do Army of Darkness, the big budget version of an Evil Dead movie. He went on to other stuff after this. I've listened to some podcasts related to Darkman. I was curious to see how other people saw the character and their interest in him. And most of the, the podcasts I listened to were very hard slagged on the Darkman sequels. One of them in particular was really railing against Sam Raimi, feeling that Raimi had just kind of cashed out, that he didn't care, you know, what was done with these characters, and he was just doing it for the money. I felt like they failed to acknowledge that Raimi still wasn't anybody, you know, at this point. In, in 1992, when this unaired pilot was produced, he was the guy who directed Army of Darkness and the Evil Dead movies. These were cult movies. They, they made pretty good money for horror movies, but if anything, they were infamous. I remember when I was a kid, 2020 did a special where they were just lambasting Evil Dead 2 for extreme violence, and Evil Dead 2 was actually released without a rating because they couldn't get anything but an X rating from the MPAA. It obviously had its fans, a lot of people saw it and saw the brilliance of it, but that didn't translate into a lot of commercial clout. And so if he's trying to form his own company to do movies and television, he probably didn't have a ton of money to work with. None of the stuff he had done up to this point was hugely successful. So we watched the unaired pilot. It recast the lead character Peyton Westlake with the actor Christopher Bowen. Larry Drake came back for the pilot, among other things. And then there was a new character introduced named Jenny, played by Kathleen York. I was kind of confused. I feel like there was some parts missing. It looks like the city went to shit because Durant's not running everything. And it feels to me like yeah. what a lot of shows were doing back then. I mean, do you remember War, War of the World? Vaguely, yeah. Okay. All those shows seem to do this weird thing where the reason I'm using World of the Worlds as an example is if you watch it, like I think the first season or two, it's it's a present day, and in the last season. They decide to go into like this apocalyptic world, like you know, where societies crumble. A lot of these shows, even Robocop, all of them had like this view of like the future where it was just this whole and so all their characters were based in the world. But they all started in movies or shows where an everyday event, like you you could see it happening in your day-to-day event. But for some reason when they translate to TV show, like TV they go to this darker, grittier. They're showing the city when explosions are occurring and homeless kids are running the streets rampant. And I'm just like, okay, so we went from like the first movie where everything was fine and y'all were just like this little gang turf war to the city's now crumbled. And it- it's a good playground for action spectacles. They retold the origin of Peyton Westlake and how he became Darkman. In this story, Durant lives and it's going to be an ongoing menace that Westlake's battling. At best, this is a side pull, you know, where it's taking place alongside the first movie. But I actually think that this is like an alternate version of events where it's going to be where Durant's going to continue to be an ongoing crime lord menace that's the nemesis of the Peyton Westlake character. And uh, obviously they're trying to introduce new supporting characters. They allude to the love of Peyton Westlake's life from the movie, but in none of the sequels do they ever feature that character. And they always introduce a new quasi-love interest, it seems like. In this case, it's the one good cop in the city, Jenny. And her partner had been killed by Durant, and so despite wanting to be a good cop and keep her nose clean, she recognizes the only way she's ever going to get Durant is by 
guy going against the law since the law is working in favor of Durant, who's all lawyered up and mobbed up everything else. It's basically a setup for an ongoing series without any kind of resolution. But were there scenes missing? I don't think that what we saw was ever intended to be broadcast on television. I think the intention was to show what kind of sets they could produce, what caliber of talent they could get for a show, give you a sense of the tone, give a sense of what changes they would make to adapt the movie to the screen, but also to show you scenes from the movie to show that if you give us a little bit of money, we could do a really cool, big, bombastic you know, action spectacle that would still be reasonably priced. Because, again, Raimi, I think, got a lot of mileage out of the $16 million in $1990. And I think that they were trying to show that if you give us the money, we could do something more with this. There are a lot of people that thought that the intention with this pilot was to pitch a half-hour action drama, crime drama kind of thing. I think that it was just a matter of they filled 22 minutes to give you a sense of what the show would feel like if they went to series. But obviously, it was never intended to actually be shown because it's too cheap and it doesn't there's too much stuff that doesn't really link together it just gives you a sense of what they can get away with I think well, it does seem to plot jump around a lot mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah so that's okay that makes more sense than that that kind of helps me understand what we watched there they obviously cast an actor they thought was going to be okay for the series they would be able to fill Liam Neeson's shoes and they give you a sense of that sort of sort of morbid humor that was present in the original Dark Knight movie that he's singing put on a happy face while he's digging a gray, shallow grave for an underling people always reference that Raimi was wanting to do a Batman movie or a Shadow movie and because he couldn't secure the rights because he wasn't a big enough name he just created his own variation on that but I think Darkman is very clearly a, an amalgamation of a lot of different influences and I think one of them very clearly is the abominable Dr. Fives the Vincent Price character from the 70s what lovely music for a murder or two or three or nine who's this Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to meet a dear friend. Nine killed you. Nine shall die. Your wife, no fives. But you I will kill. But you can't, Doctor. I am already dead. Here, how are we going to get him off this? You take his head and I'll take his feet. Let's unscrew him. Dr. Vibes, who samples the finer things of life in his own inimitable way and experiments with fascinating instruments of death. The what, sir? The guitar. The ten curses visited upon the pharaohs before Exodus. Nine shall die, nine eternities in doom. Because uh, of boils, of bats. Frogs? Frogs, yes. And because of blood. He lives. From the depths of this unholy tomb, the Avenger rises. The abominable Dr. Fives, the most deadly mastermind of all crime. Specialist in the fine art of bizarre murder, each more different, each more devilish than the last. Touche, Dr. Fibes. And as another victim falls, the world awaits your next blow of vengeance. Only one man, only one menace, only one diabolical mind could create such chilling terror. That's not a common thief, sir. Then, Inspector, we are faced with an impossible task. 
Well, there's no force in all the world could win a fight against such a supreme opponent. Run, but you can't escape him. Hide, but he'll find you. Scream, but no one will hear you. Are you ready for Dr. Five? Probably the most terrifying motion picture you'll ever see. It's a guy whose wife dies on the operating room table, and so he blames the doctors that weren't able to save her life. And he himself, on the way to, you know, catching up with her before she, she dies on the operating table, he has a car crash and gets horrifically burned. He's all chewed up. And what he does, he makes masks to make himself look like Vincent Price, so that he, when he needs to, he can appear like a normal human being, except that he also fucked up his voice box, so he always speaks through a mechanical voice box. I think the movies were set in the 1930s, too, so there was a little bit of a steampunk kind of thing going on. Using the template of the plagues of Egypt, he murders each of the doctors that he holds responsible for the wife de death of his wife. And so if you look at Dr. Fives and you look at Dark Man, and especially one of the things that was most infamous about Dr. Fives is the end of the first movie, they play Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And you know that it's become a kind of a horror cliche to have like an, an anachronistic and unsaccharine song and milk it for scariness and horror in horror movies. Like Bad Moon Rising and American Werewolf in London. I'm thinking all the 20s music from The Shining. Uh, and even Evil Dead has that ragtime song at the end of the first Evil Dead movie. Da -da, a little Tim Pan Alley to end off the movie. So I, I think that that all comes from Dr. Fives and Dark Man is continuing to play in that area and they wanted to show that that that's something that would have appeared in the TV show as well. But I have found a sanctuary, a new home, an observatory, a place of science, abandoned like so many other things in this brave new world. I no longer belong to their world, so I created one of my own. This chamber was a planetarium once, stars and galaxies projected onto its dome. Now, it is my universe. A refuge with no mirrors, no reflections to gaze at. What did you think of the guy they, they cast? They definitely were trying to find someone who had an accent. And it's funny because Liam Neeson didn't have an accent in Dark Man. No, he was an Irishman playing an American. And in this one, it felt like an Englishman playing an Englishman. And in the next, the, the, the films were... Kind of a weird hash. Because, I mean, let's be honest, Liam Neeson doesn't have the strongest American accent either. So I think you always tell that he had a kind of a tummy Wiseau thing going on where he's trying to sound like an American, but none of them ever sound like an American. And this is the one instance where they just went whole hog and said, fuck it, we're going to call him, we're going to treat him as a British guy. It's very strange to see Larry Drake turn up you would have thought that he would I mean I guess he was just the dude from LA Law he never had such a big career that he'd be it'd be beneath him to appear yeah and I'm sure he doesn't get to cut cast as the tough guy with a gun very often so he's probably getting off on it I don't think he plays a menacing character I think he does a good job with it he's got a good scowl going on too yeah he's got a nastiness to him and I think it would have been cool to see him on a weekly series you know he would have been available he would have had the presence I could see that actually working uh, yeah I love seeing the kid from the people of their stairs 
Brothers because I love that flick. Yeah, I'm one of the few people that actually love that movie. The actress who's playing the cop is terrible. Uh, she's good looking. She's in the eyes. Terrible actress though. Definitely, yeah, definitely uh, overacting. Not even over. No, not acting. Like she, it, it sounded like she was reading cue cards the whole time. Well, again, remember this is just for feel. Remember- you agreed, but but I don't think that that she would have gone to series if they tried to do that. Like most everybody else in the movie is acting that isn't like a henchman. I think the guy they cast as Darkman could have actually pulled off a series. The kid could. Uh, you know, everybody but her. She's the only character who had a lot of lines, who was, has a major presence in the pilot, but there was no way she was going to make it to the series. I think it's just like Pretty Gal. You know, let's take advantage of the Pretty Gal for this pitch. But it, it went nowhere. But obviously Renaissance later went on to do quite a bit of television that you particularly was exposed to a lot of. Well, yeah, because I, I was going to ask you if Renaissance was something like canon back in the day. Well, uh, do you, you don't remember what Renaissance did? I'll give you a hint. You and Pussycat watched a lot of it. Xena. Xena, Hercules, Legendary Journey. Uh, a jack of all trades with with Bruce Campbell yeah. and uh, Cleopatra twenty five twenty five. Did they do Flash Gordon? I don't think they did Flash Gordon. No. I, actually, I, I just had a conversation with someone. We were talking about old shows that were popping up on Channel thirty nine at the time. Oh yeah. Thirty nine had this like renaissance of, I, I guess, acquired a lot of different properties. Was well, that they? I think that they were a home to a lot of syndication packages because none of this stuff was brand new shows though yeah but see okay but going into the 90s Sam Raimi was at the forefront of putting together these shows that were specifically for local channels and they were cheap shows and they were usually one of the things that was interesting about Jack of All Trades and Clear Batch of 2525 is these were action adventure shows that only ran for half an hour which is still a novel thing you don't see that very much it, it, it was one of the only companies that could successfully do that for any length of time and there, I think there were some other shows too that were in that package that cycled in and out, you know, and some of them were more successful than others. And a lot of actors that, you know, are cult actors that we're fond of came out of those shows. Gina Torres was on those shows, obviously Lucy Lawless. Bruce Campbell spent most of his 90s career doing those shows. So, Renaissance actually did okay with it. Well, you know, Kevin Sorbo's career kind of begins and ends with that and the Jesus movies. But Raimi managed to put genre television into bring people into people's homes at a time when genre television was still kind of a dirty word. It was something that wasn't still embraced by the mainstream at all and helped mainstream it, but in particular in the case of Xena, Xena is this feminist icon beloved by children of the 90s, specifically girl-type children, and specifically your longtime ex was a huge Xena fan. A xenophobe, if you will. Xenophile. Xenophile. <laughs> but it's funny because I was listening to one of these podcasts where they're like, like, Sam Raimi just doesn't give a shit. He's all about cashing in. It's like, so, and, and talking about, oh, Hercules and Xena, that was shitty shows. It's like, they may be shitty to you, white dude, but, you know, those shows actually meant something to oh, other people. I remember, like, you would stay home for Xena and not only watch it, but tape record them and had a collection of VHS tapes numbered so that when they were off season, she would go back and rewatch the season. I was very familiar with Zena and Gabrielle. Well, y'all watch, watch Hercules at all? Since it's a crossover? Not so much. She wasn't big into her. She was huge Zena and Jack of Trades. She really liked yeah, I like Jack of All Trades a lot too because of Bruce Campbell mostly. Yeah. But I also liked his interplay with the British chick that he worked with. They were, were they spies or were they con men? Or? All I know is I would get through Zena by that show I would just sit on the couch quietly Zena Corbis on here. It was a fun show. It definitely showcased Campbell's charms. It was like a little block of TV shows, like I want to say maybe on like Friday. 
So another thing that was great about Xena is this was obviously coded lesbianism too in this show. So it wasn't just a show for chicks. It was a show for chicks of an alternative lifestyle that were not very well represented in media. And I, I'm sure Army of Darkness had a lot to do with messing this up. But I don't know if you remember at the end of Darkman, do you remember how that movie ends? Because I completely forgot this ever happened. At the very end of Darkman, the character has put on an artificial mask and is mingled into a crowd to, you know, to disappear because he, he, he's made it clear that he's not going to stay with his lady love, his his fiance, the lawyer. He's just going to go off and live whatever life he could manage now that he's broken the way that he is. And in the midst of the, the crowd, he turns slightly to the camera so you can see his new face. And it's Bruce Campbell. So at the end of the movie, Bruce Campbell is Dark Man. How awesome would it have been if Bruce Campbell had done a TV series of Dark Man and he'd been the Dark Man? That would have been badass. But then we wouldn't have Bristol County Jr. That's true. And I, I do have to say I value Briscoe County Jr. a great deal. That's another show we have to do. Watch, but I remember watching it as a kid and rooting like. No, me, me and Mac have been seriously talking about doing that. I, I actually, it was one night where he and I were hanging out, and I was like, "Okay, are you ready to go ahead and start the show?" And he's like, "I don't think I'm there yet." And then recently, he said, "I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to do the Briscoe County Junior Show." So it's totally on the one season, like 22 episodes, roughly. But but that's true. And, I, and honestly, the thing is, as much as I love Bruce Campbell, I don't know that he's really Dark Man. I don't know that he can bring that kind of pathos, you know, to a little like different kind of gravitas, a little that trad. Well, it's not the edge; it's the the. Tra- Tragedy. I think that Campbell is so geared toward humor that it's hard to see him play. Like, my example would be, I don't know if you remember, but Ed O'Neill, after Married with Children, finally ended. And Ed O'Neill had a career before, you know, Married with Children. He played Popeye Doyle in a TV movie sequel to The French Connection. And then he did, he was Al Bundy for so many years, and then he had tried to play a general in For a Few Good Men, and they cut his scenes because the audience started laughing when he appeared on screen, because they couldn't see the general, they only saw Al Bundy. And then in the mid to late 90s, he was actually on a new version of Dragnet, playing the Joe Friday character. And he, it's completely straight, it's not intended to be a all, but you just can't quite divorce yourself from Al Bundy's trying to be a homicide detective, you know? And I think that Bruce Campbell might have had the same problem. It's really hard to see him play a straight character because he's done so many comedic characters and it's where his greatest gifts are. He's great at doing serial comic characters, especially when there's a horror element to it, but also in the adventure series like Xena and Jack of All Trades. Uh, or was he on Xena or Hercules more? Or the, that character crossed over, right? He crossed over, but he, I remember him on Xena because we watched Xena, so mm-hmm. he was probably on Xena. I'm not a superstitious person, but as a podcaster, you can't help but notice that some projects are just cursed. This episode has been in the works for nearly three years, but you probably couldn't help but notice that the audio quality started shitty and only got worse. I planned to re-record some of this material, but the truth is that every time I broached a subject, nobody really seemed to give a crap about Darkman. I feel like Fix-It shot his load on that first round, and I didn't want to drag another take out of him. My father has the movie trilogy DVD set, so I rewatched the sequels just a few months ago in my hotel room when I planned to spend time with him. I figured we'd get some recordings in, but that didn't work out on account of COVID. Resources I'd ordered to supplement the episode were put on back order and then never arrived. I was going to read the first novel for free on the internet archive during a vacation, but the file got pulled just ahead of that vacation. I started and never finished another couple of novels. I even did an open plea for interest parties on Twitter months back, which is how we scored Chuck Coletta to discuss the Dick Tracy movie, but had no such luck with Darkman. There's no takers. I'd planned to set aside more prep time for editing this episode, but I knew the files I had were a mess, and some of the stuff turned up missing. I'm still trying to find it. Anyway, I procured 
procrastinated, thinking I had until at least next week, only to realize Sunday evening that the exact date was this past Monday, you know, for the 30th anniversary. So you're getting the best podcast I could throw together in a few free hours, and I'm not the least bit sorry because I'd have only worked harder to get the same sorry result. Here's the thing. I'm a lifelong superhero fan who saw Superman the motion picture theater. I'd waited my entire young life to see a superhero movie that reflected the sensibilities of the comics I love. Most were just corny or campy or cheesy or chintzy, betraying a lack of understanding or respect for my reading experience. I saw Batman three times in 1989 and didn't particularly like it any of those times. I don't hate the Batman movie, but it had obvious limitations and the film was clearly more interested in its villain than its hero. I saw Batman that third time because my brother wanted to see it and I didn't see that many movies or spend that much time with him. Weekends here and there for a few years really. My recollection is that we saw Darkman together on my side of town in my regular theater. My brother stayed with me maybe twice since we were poor and you tend to want to trade up, right? But this one time I got to host him. We went to a movie that we were both very excited about and we had an absolute blast. It was everything that we were hoping for. When I read his copies of The Dark Knight Returns and Year One, when he read my copies of Grimjack and Martial Law, we were both teenagers high on violent anti-heroes and Darkman was cut from the same cloth as the badasses we revered and emulated from those comics. It was clear that Sam Raimi was an actual comic book fan who'd read and internalized the same comics we had. And the result was a movie that was on our wavelength in 1990. It felt like something Frank Miller would do back when what Miller would do was something you wanted to see done. It was the first true modern age comic book movie to me and the standard I held against all others for years. I really enjoyed Batman Returns but it was still more of a Tim Burton movie than a comic book one. The Matrix had next level style and action choreography but that was science fiction and I had never invested in the actual characters. X-Men? Please. As I mentioned earlier it wasn't until the Marvel Cinematic Universe that I finally found movies that were truer to the spirit of comic books than Darkman. Remy owed a major debt to the pulp that preceded comics and that I've had limited exposure to. Darkman was also a hybrid with horror, another genre dear to my heart, but a pulpy horror comic isn't necessarily as reflective of the source material from this particular medium as an actual superhero team-up like the Avengers. Darkman is a product of its time and limited budget. I'm not the same angry young man that saw it 30 years ago, so the film isn't going to hit me or anyone else the same way it once did. But as I'm recording this coda, there's a fucking wicked sweet soda now playing Darkman action figure prowling along my bookcase. It's modeled after the movie poster, steel girder and all. They gave him two different heads and two sets of hands, one with gauze, one with gloves. He even comes with a removable fedora. I scored it at Comic Palooza for something like $20, and I've seen it go for a few hundred online. That's nice and all, but I wouldn't have it any other way than for him to be ripped out of the goddamn packaging and up where I can see him when the mood strike. I do have one regret, though. I had a long navy trench coat that I wore throughout most of junior high. You know, a roll of gauze didn't cost much anything. Why did my poor ass ever go as Darkman for Halloween? And you know, I haven't dressed up in a costume in years, and I've never cosplayed to a con. The trusted Darkman is on my short list if that status ever changes. Also, trust that Darkman will return in another episode of a podcast, probably sooner rather than later, but we'll give it a little bit of space. Maybe I can get those fucking back orders in. In the meantime, we'll thank the 108 Sage, Dr. Ange, Baby Skeletor, Chris at Bad Books for Beginners, Chris Dunford, Chris Lydon, Christopher Bush, DeBeish, Daniel French, Responious Sound Design, David Ace Gutierrez, Delvin, who asked of the Darkman episode, wait, am I joining the network and no one told me? Dindro Kakalia Japan, El Romero Romero, Gregory Litchfield, Watam Shiorin, The Hammer Strikes, Random Geeky Stuff, History of Comics on Film, I Was Joe Crawford, It's Plastic Man, Jeffrey Brown, JMT Productions, Julie Duquesne, Duchesne, Shot in the Dark, uh, Keith G. Baker, Kenji Tasaka, King Dinosaur, Luke Giaconetti of Earth Destruction Directive Podcast, Maz of Mazinger1978, Michael Wagner, Mike Send Aliens to Me, Odell Abner Dracula, who said of this episode simply in all caps, yes, Paul Matthew Carr, Rad Adventures Podcasting Network, Randy Caldwell, Richard G., who thanked us for the shout out, Scott X, Seer Wars and Beyond Podcast, Tim Price Podcrasher, Tyrannosuke0315, Truckonomics Trekbot, Wonder One Warrior for Peace Podcast, and Zach Sally. Thank <laughs> you.